Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Alex Bowman, driver of the number 88 nationwide Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, as well as defending Xfinity Series champion Tyler Reddick is set to join us, driver of the number two Chevy for Richard Childress Racing, and he is set to move up to the Cup Series next year to drive the number eight Caterpillar car for Richard Childress. And uh, so a NASCAR-heavy show today on the interview side as uh, we're just over a week away from NASCAR coming to Kansas Speedway for the second time in 2019 for the uh, NASCAR playoffs elimination race, uh, which will be next week. And uh, we'll look forward to being out there here in just a couple days. Joining me, as always, is Thomas Bridges. And uh, Thomas, I can confirm that uh, I have survived the days of uh, Snoop Dogg and Lawrence, that I live to tell that Snoop Dogg came and he went and uh, no bodies were affected, although uh, many people would lead you to believe that you know the world has come to an end and that Allen Fieldhouse will never be the same. Yeah, it might not really be the same ever again. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it. It was uh, everything that I could hope it would have been. Uh, just because in the spirit of Snoop Dogg, you know, you're not just going to get an unexplained, you know, you're, you're not going to get a clean version from Snoop Dogg, even if he tells you that you are. Right. Oh, it was fantastic. I don't care who you are. I mean, to think that Snoop Dogg, he probably put on the PG-13 version of Snoop Dogg anyway. In all reality, I mean, oh, it he could did. Have been a lot worse. Oh my gosh! Yes, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, he he comes they out. Could have been naked. He could have. The girls could have been naked. He I mean, could have been smoking a blunt. He had the uh, the mascot dog with the blunt. I mean, that was that went on. You had the stripper poles with pole dancers, not strippers, and I mean, they were dressed more than you would see at a swimming pool. And courtesy of all stars. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And then, you know, he brings out the money gun and sprays it on the players and on the uh, the pole dancers and such. It was really just Snoop Bucks, what it, what it was. Um, just $100 in Snoop money, whatever it was. This was what blunt. Does that buy you? <laughs> buys you some blunts, I'm sure. Um, but the whole thing was blown out of proportion. Everybody makes this whole big ordeal, and the fake outrage machine was, was full on over Snoop Dogg coming to Lawrence. But more than anything, Tom, the damage control by KU was much worse than anything Snoop Dogg did on Friday night. When you hear Jeff Long release a statement saying that he did not know what acrobatic dancers were in today's modern entertainment world, and then Bill Self apologizing and everything when you know, you guys were the ones that brought Snoop Dogg. You knew it was a possibility this was going to happen. It was the last event of the night. Nobody had to be there and such. That, to me, was worse than anything we saw from Snoop Dogg. If you were a KU fan that was offended by Snoop Dogg, you probably should turn your offense, if you're going to be offended at all, more to Bill Self and Jeff Long the KU administration. They handled that situation much worse than anything Snoop Dogg did. Yeah, it was bad. It was like cringeworthy. It was like, okay, guys, like, we know you're fake apologizing. We know you just went through this whole little scandal of an ordeal. 
that you're trying to cover up for. We get it. It's, you know, we get that you have to be PC, but at least try to be a little bit more convincing. Right. Please, at, at least of some source. Just embrace it. Embrace that Snoop Dogg. Yeah, how, what kind of a power move would that have been if they would have been like, yep, we did do that. We did bring in Snoop Dogg. We are under investigation by the NCAA and have a notice of allegations. But you know what? We're going to be the heel. Deal with it. That would have been beautiful. Man. They would have just taken it on the chin and just accepted it for what it was and just went full on out and just took that on the chin. I would have respected it a lot more. If you were a recruit that was at late night on Friday night, if I was in that situation, Tom, I would say sign me up right now if this is what I'm going to get at the University of Kansas. Yeah, could you imagine Rick Ross? Like, who's next? I, I mean, really, though. Kanye? Wouldn't that be something? Kanye says he only does uh, gospel songs now. There you go. Just make, you know repair the situation and bring Kanye in to do his gospel songs and you'll make right. and you'll make the church crowd happy in the same sense too all will be forgiven uh in that crowd if uh if you bring Kanye to do his uh, gospel set uh, in that regard I love Jeff Long and Bill Shelf and the staff at KU I mean they do a terrific job but this was bad of their reaction more than anything more than anything we saw from Snoop Dogg but Wow, that was uh, incredible that that happened the way it did. And, you know, now we're in for a very interesting season of Kansas basketball ahead. This is uh, this is the Snoop Dogg year from going forward. This is going to be remembered. That might be remembered, Tom, more than anything Kansas basketball does this season unless they make it to a Final Four. Oh, yeah, it's going to be talked about for a while because now, you know, you bring Rick Ross in. You bring Snoop Dogg in. Uh, I mean, Rick Ross. Nothing bad happened that I know of, right? It wasn't. There was nothing to. Well, and, and two years ago, they brought in Little Yachty, and there was a Somebody shooting. Died. Yeah, there was a shooting in downtown Lawrence afterwards. Lawrence is now the trap capital of the America <laughs> of the United States. I guess so. I guess so. Got to be careful bringing in these rappers in. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, and. And uh, people are just going to get upset. You know, people be crazy, as uh, they say. But we got a lot to get to on today's show. And uh, I'm excited to uh, talk to Tyler as well as Alex coming up in just a little while from right now. But, Tom, the uh, Big 12 this past week, I saw Jalen Hurts in person for the first time. And dare I say, Tom, that I wasn't that impressed with Jalen and let me say this, before people jump on me, he played good, don't get me wrong, but nothing I saw from Jalen on a, on Saturday against KU was, was earth-shattering. It was nothing that I hadn't seen before in college football. When I saw Baker play in person, it was like, okay, this guy is special. When I saw Kyler Murray play in person, it was, yeah, this guy is special. And I get it that Texas is coming up this week. OU, I think, was clearly looking ahead. Garen Emig from the Tulsa World wrote a great column on that. But nothing I saw there just said that you know Jalen Hurts was on that level. And I'm not saying that he's not. But that day, he wasn't. And you know what? That may have just been his off day. And if that's his off day of the performance he put up, 
that is an off day that a lot of people would still take. So I would assume that's the case. That's what I would guess is the case with Jalen Hurts, that it wasn't his best performance. It was an off day yeah, of some I sort. Yeah, it's a lot better than Spencer Sanders off. And it could have been a lot worse. You could have lost to Kansas. So if that is your off day, I mean, well, I'll be, you're not in bad shape. I'll bet it is against Kansas. Right. But still, uh, I mean, shake those off days, you know, put them behind you, do what you got to do. Uh, and, you know, if you can have an off day and still drop however many points, then, you know, I'll be it. Go ahead and do it. Right. Uh, I mean, OU. Obviously, big test this week against uh, against Kansas against Texas. Uh, I think this is where we, you know, find out uh, about Jalen Hurts. We, well, I mean, we kind of already know about him, but and, and when he was asked about that game, he said, "Well, hell, I played in the Iron Bowl, uh, which is, you know, every bit of big of a rivalry um, that Texas OU is." He's so, played in two national championships. I mean, like, right? I mean, yeah, he's not. Come on, he's probably, you know, he's probably bluffing this off a little bit. I mean, he doesn't, he's not afraid by any means. Um, and, and he's not a guy that the pressure is going to get to him from a big game. Uh, now, is that going to matter? That You know, Texas defense is pretty stout. Right. And that's, so, I mean, that's one of our yeah, games. In, that's yeah. one of our games in our pick this week. And so we'll talk about that more coming up later on. But Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, still one of the Heisman contenders. Uh, you know, this the other thing, looking at this game, Tom, that, that was a weird day, that OUKU game was. You had a 30-minute rain delay that pushed the game back to starting at 11.30. The players didn't get a full warm-up in. They only had 35 minutes to uh, get things going. I mean, there, there was just a lot of different uh, things that happened in uh, that regard that uh, made that day tough. The thing I was impressed, though, with from OU was that running game. And it, it seems like, Tom, that we haven't talked about OU having a star running back as far as, you know, National Football League potential in uh, in a while, it seems. And this is a school that, you know, produces a lot of running backs over the years. I, I think the last, correct me if I'm wrong here, Tom, but the uh, last running back from OU to, uh, you know, start in the National Football League would be Joe Mixon. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, Mixon, Damian Williams, um, you know, DeMarco Murray, Adrian Peterson. I mean, the list goes on and on. But it's been a while since, you know, Joe Mixon was there at OU, and they've had a couple different guys, you know, Rodney Anderson and a few others. But Trey Sermon, the minister, and, you know, Kennedy Brooks, you know, that bunch rushed for close to 300 yards. And Jalen Hurts, of course, rushed the football as well. This OU running attack is uh, is, is something else. I mean, they're, they're better than I anticipated. And that group – you know, if OU continues to establish that running game with that young offensive line that they have, led by Creed Humphrey, um, you know, then that running game really could do some damage to some teams later on this season. It's good right now, but as that line continues to improve, that could be something that OU uh, really wears on teams, is especially considering that they want the defense to improve and and you want to keep the defense off the field less, maybe OU is going to become more of a running team as the season goes along. You know, they definitely could. And, and you know, about OU running the ball, I mean, you are right. But, they, I mean, here lately, I mean, everybody's been getting hurt for OU as far as running backs go, it seems. 
every time they have a good running back, it seems at least, you know, somebody ends up getting hurt. Um, and so I feel like the past couple of years it's been running back by committee, uh, yeah. which has not been a bad thing uh, for OU because they've obviously made it work. Uh, I mean, Sermon, uh, Kennedy Brooks looked pretty, you know, has looked good. Uh, all, all the way back to Rodney Anderson, and, and he had so much potential before his injuries. Uh, so it has been running back by committee for OU. But, uh, I mean, when you have Heisman-winning quarterbacks, you can get away with that. Right, right. Yeah, no question. No question about that. And uh, OU's defense is coming along. That group is. I mean, they gave up 20 points to KU, but, um, I mean, that group, you know, it was the second and third teamers that gave up most of the points. Um, they're tackling better. They're doing the, the little things better. Grinch is doing a good job, but they still have a ways to go. KU on their end, I mean, they hung in there. You know, they didn't get blown out. They covered the spread against OU. I mean, that's reason to be, you know, happy. You know, there's no moral victories, obviously, but, you know, that's not a bad performance for KU of what they did against Oklahoma. But they do move on from their offensive coordinator, Les Kinning, is out as OC, and he was running such a vanilla offense there at KU that really had a lot of people shaking their heads with all the eye formation that they were doing. KU has not converted a single fourth down in the 2019 season off of nine attempts. There was a lot of reason to be frustrated. This is a change that needed to happen, and I think the biggest thing that you look at is what is Carter Stanley's strength? It is the RPOs. That's exactly what he ran in high school in the state of Florida, and he excelled at it. The game against Boston College, that's all they did was RPOs, and it worked to perfection, and they haven't gone back to that game plan ever since. And so if you've got a quarterback that specializes in RPOs, then use the RPOs. I don't know why they went away from that what worked against Boston College. So Les Kinning had to go. You promote Brent Deerman, who – you know, is a no-name in the college football world. Nobody knows who this guy is. He was, you know, a head coach for an NAIA team last year at Bethel College and I mean, in Tennessee. They were very good. They had the nation's number one offense at any level last year, and it's an RPO scheme. So you have a guy that knows RPOs and, you know, a quarterback in Carter Stanley. I don't think this Kansas team is going anywhere this year. They might win another game or two. But just by switching up the system, by having a OC that actually is going to complement his quarterback, this could go a long way and could take this Kansas offense up to another level, much like we saw that Boston College game by making this change. Yeah, I mean, nothing can hurt by making the change. I mean, if anything, you get less predictable. And, and for KU, that's pretty much what they need. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, for one, am, you know – indifferent obviously about them uh, about the change but uh, for KU it's only up from here because if you got a you know an OC who specializes in RPOs and you got a quarterback who played his best game in his KU career against BC on the back of the RPOs why would you do it it only makes you know, sense I don't know why we haven't become offensive coordinators yet oh my gosh um I was playing I got the updated rosters on NCAA 14, and I was, I was playing, thank you, with uh, KU and some of the play calling I put together with Carter and Puka and Andrew Parchment. I said, why am I not OC? I've got this offense figured out. I can make this work. I'm convinced, Tom, and maybe I'm delusional. Not going to lie. We might be delusional for thinking this, 
But, Tom, I sit here today, and I'm convinced that you and I could be offensive coordinators, at least when it comes to play calling. I think we might have problems teaching fundamentals and such, but I think I could be a play caller. Right. I mean, I, you know, give me give me six months. Give me an off season to learn the playbook and, you know, learn who, you know, what I have. And I would do it. Now, Jones, here's, here's something for you. And I would totally do this, not for OSU, because I would not want them to lose on my play calling. But if I could take if, – if they were like, you know what, for 600 bucks, you can call one full KU game, I would 110% do it. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be incredible? Would you pay $600 to take over as OC for KU for one game? Yes, I would. And because then I would do so good that they would give me the job. So it would be an investment in my future, essentially. So, yes, I would take that, and I think I would would do well. Would you leave your radio show job? They were like, Jones, well, we're kind of all our options here. Let's give you a call and say, hey, uh, we want to make you OC. Uh, we've heard about your amateur NCAA play calling, and uh, we want to give you a shot. Yes. So they'll, they'll give you a three-game sample, and if you can win two of those games or put up more than three, give you the job. Absolutely. I would take that. But then if you don't work, if you don't work out, if you don't work out, you can't go back to your radio in, in Lawrence. I would take the chance because, you know, as – Could you imagine the opportunity – as our guy Baker would say, you know, I, I like to live dangerous, dangerously. You know, I'm feeling dangerous. So, yes, absolutely, what, what, I would take would the chance. I, I always see your game day outfits. This last week, it was a longer sleeve t- uh, button down. I wore a, a, a sweater vest. On. I did. I saw that. I wore a sweater what vest you, this week. Would you be. Most, would you wear a visor? Most weeks, I would wear, depending on weather wise, a polo, khakis, and uh, you know Nikes, and then probably a ball cap. Really? What about you? I would like to think that I would wear some black. If it, it's, I mean, it depends on the. I mean, it really depends on the place that you go. Sure. It really does. I would think that I would wear some gym shorts, uh, a long sleeve dry fit tee with my team on it. Uh, and probably, uh, probably a, a a hat of some sort. So essentially, you're saying you dress up as Brady Hoke. I was gonna say I dress up as Billy Locke. That too, right? <laughs> I mean, I've I don't ne- really ever see Billy wear hats though. I know we're getting a little tangenty. I've that, never you know, seen. That's when the best come. Well, that's when the best content comes out. I've never seen Brady Hoke and Billy Locke in the same place. I mean, Brady, Billy, it's kind of close. Close enough. Hoke, Locke, I mean, that's kind of similar, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that's it. Billy is Brady Hoke. I knew it. There we go. That's an I-team investigation solved right there. Uh, also in the Big 12 this week, Baylor, another win. They take down K-State, dominated with a 31-12 to victory in Manhattan. K-State, back-to-back losses. Now the Bears or 5-0 and to start out 2019. Tom, how in the world is Baylor undefeated? I don't even know, especially coming off of last year where they lost the, what was it, Liberty? That was uh, two years ago. Oh, okay. I mean, you, you know, you hate to see it. Uh, those are ones you can never forget, though. 
Um, still, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how. I mean, you beat Rocktober, or not in the month of October, but close enough. Um, and then you go out and dominate a K-State team who looked really good to start the season. Uh, I don't know what Matt Rule's got down there in, in the Brazos River uh, right by the stadium, but uh, I might have to dip my cup in that and then go apply for a job right as soon as I drink it. Uh, because whatever he's doing down there, he's got it together, and, and I'm really hoping OSU is prepared for the Bears uh, when they come to Stillwater uh, in two weeks. So right now, Tom, are you buying Baylor as the second or third best team in the Big 12? No, absolutely not. It's Baylor. Uh, now, if they come in and steamroll OSU in two weeks, uh, you might have my vote. Uh, but currently, no, it, it's, it is still Baylor. I what does that even mean? Says. What does that mean? It's Baylor. What, what does do that mean? mean? What, do you, what do you think I mean when you go, it's Kansas? Baylor won the Big 12 like five years ago. So how long has it been since KU won the Big 12? This is not about Kansas. This is about Baylor. Baylor has they have more. They have more Big 12 titles than Oklahoma State does. That is that is completely fine. They're they're legit. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Why don't you just give credit where credit's due? I'm not giving credit to Baptist University. I'm not doing it. You're not giving credit to a team that's 5-0 and for what they've done. Not yet. You don't think... You, if they beat OU or Texas, I will give credit. You don't think that a win against K-State or Iowa State back-to-back weeks is worth any attention? It is impressive. I will say I am surprised. Okay. Is it, is it mean that Baylor's going to be the third-best team in the Big 12? No. No. Okay. Okay. Not yet. That's fair. Um, Iowa State, you mentioned Brocktober. Hot start to Brocktober. 49-24 to win over TCU, and uh, Brock Purdy was on fire. Uh, he was 19-24 to for 247 yards and two touchdowns. Great game for uh, for Brock and Iowa State. It, it seems like we, we do this every year with Matt Campbell and Iowa State now, Tom. It's September, they come a little shaky out of the gate. And then October belongs to Brock Purdy and Iowa State. And last week they got off to a hot start. And now the uh, Cyclones, uh, the next couple weeks for this bunch, are uh, in for uh, an interesting ride. West Virginia this week, Texas Tech the week after that, at home against Oklahoma State. How do you see Brocktober playing out for uh, the Cyclones? I don't know if Duffy plays like he did against Oklahoma State this past week. We might be talking about uh, a Duffy December. Uh, not really. But, um, you know what? First week of October, uh, they didn't call him Doubting Thomas for nothing. So until – who do they have this week? Is it you say West Virginia? Yes. West Virginia looked really good against Texas. Alex Kendall probably played his best game that I've seen. His name's Austin. Uh, granted, the sample size, but uh, you have to be impressed with West Virginia. Where is is that game in Ames? That game uh, for Iowa State and uh, West Virginia this weekend is in Morgantown at th- at uh, three o'clock. If Brocktober can get, get it done this week in West Virginia, I will be I will I will believe a little bit more. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, That's all you can ask for me. That's all you can ask. If it's not named OU Texas or Oklahoma State, Tom is going to you know doubt everybody else in the league, and that's how it works. Uh, right now, I'm doubting Oklahoma State. Um, speaking of uh, Texas, as we mentioned there a second ago, uh, 42 to 31, their win over West Virginia, the Longhorns. I actually, you know, Tom, I love Joel Klatt. I, I know you do too. You know, he does a great job with Fox, especially covering the Big 12 too. But Joel asked a question that. I just really was shaking my head, and I was embarrassed to see it from Joel. He said, is Texas one of the most underrated teams in the country? Am I, are you kidding me? Who have they beat? They have no quality wins. They have one loss to LSU. It was a close game, but they lost at home to LSU. And, I mean, they've squeaked by in some of these games. I have seen nothing that's impressed me from Texas so far to this point. Not to give too many spoilers away for picks later on in the show, but I'll tell you this right now. I don't like Texas to win on Saturday. I'm not th- I don't think they're going to beat OU by any means. What what is it that stands out about this Texas team? Is it Ellinger? I don't I don't know. I just don't see it. They don't have a great running game. Their defense was clearly overrated. That secondary, who tried to call themselves, you know, defensive back you, has looked pitiful. What is it about this Texas team that I'm missing here, Tom? You know, it must be Ellinger because he has the heart of a lion. Um, I mean, he literally plays every down like it's his last. I am, as much as I hate Texas, I'm kind of a fan uh, of Ellinger. I mean, just I've got to watch him a couple times. Uh, he's impressed me. Uh, and it must be that, uh, because really it's not the running game. It's definitely not the defense. Um, now, not to, like you said, not to give any spoilers away here, I don't think that they're going to win this weekend either. But I've been wrong before, and I'm just going to leave it right there. How about this, Tom? For Sam Ellinger, you have a, uh, a horn on. No, no, no. <laughs> I would have had a horn on if Oklahoma State would have beat Texas and then Texas would have beat OU. That's pretty, that, that's pretty good, though, isn't it? Hey, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of Texas fans that have a horn on for Ellinger. <laughs> oh, man. Texas Tech, Jet Duffy uh, played well and uh, defeated Oklahoma State. I'm, I'm sure you watched that game, Tom. Yeah. What happened? What happened there? I have no idea. It was one of the most disappointing OSU performances that I've ever had the chance to witness, and I'm so happy that I didn't drive to Lubbock because I thought about it, really considered it. I really did Uh, because I was supposed to go to Ames in October, and then I got scheduled without my knowledge um, for a bark crawl. make some money, and after these disappointing performances um, by OSU, it's probably a good thing. I'd rather make some money than lose money and go all all the way to Ames and watch OSU get beat by Brocktober. Not saying that's going to happen just yet, Uh, but it doesn't. They better figure something out in the bye week, and it's Jones, and and I, you know, it's just kind of like a father's very critical of his son, uh, especially like in sports. I am very critical of OSU. Um, I don't. 
I don't pussyfoot around when talking about OSU. I, I have high hopes for them, and I like to talk a big game with them. But when they disappoint me like this, uh, it just comes down to a certain point where I'm like, you know what? It is Spencer Sanders that lost that game. You don't turn it over. If they don't turn it over five times, OSU probably wins this game. Uh, there were several times that OSU had the momentum and lost it. Um, you know, the defense look, made Duffy look like a Heisman contender. Uh, they made Vasher look like a Blendikoff Award finalist. Uh, you know, the defense shut completely figured out OSU, you know, besides Chuba Hubbard, and I don't think really anybody ever figures him out. Um, you know, it just was a terrible showing by OSU. They should be embarrassed. Um, they better get it together. And, I, you know, I get it. I, I really do. And, and for anybody that will be like, you know what, you're too hard on them or whatever, I get it. I get it. Spencer Sanders, this is, you know, granted he was the number one quarterback in Texas coming out. I get it. You know, he's young. He, the kid's 19 years old. Uh, he's not even old enough to drink a beer. Um, so I get it. I do get that part. And and we said the same thing, or OSU fans said the same thing. When Mason Rudolph came in, uh, you know, he had some impressive showings. But at the same time, it was like, you know, okay, there are a few games where it was like, okay, we either had Dax Garman or Mason Rudolph. And, you know, we got to the point where we were fed up and just put him in. Um, and so that's all we had to left, you know, to work with. So now you have Spencer Sanders, who had all this hype coming in, played a few really good games and shown a lot of potential, uh, and, and then five turnovers and, and, you know, loses to Texas Tech for the first time in, in Lubbock since 2008. Uh, you know, that's going to make some fans upset. Um, and, you know, I, and I think we might look back on this game, Jones, specifically for OSU fans here, and we'll look at the back in this game three years from now and think, man, we were really mad over that. And, you know, I, I think the ceiling for Sanders is, is so high. Uh, but right now it's very frustrating. Uh, you know, it would be one thing, you know, it's one thing losing to Texas in Austin. It's another thing getting your ass kicked and love it by Texas Tech, by a backup quarterback. Well, and it seems like the same problem that it's been the last several years for Oklahoma State where Mike Gundy does not get his team up for some of these games where they're highly favored, where you see, you know, like a K-State wins in Stillwater with a third-string quarterback. or What's with the third-string quarterbacks? I don't get it. Right. I mean, they're just – I feel like Gundy does not go in and get his guys prepared for these situations accordingly and that they underestimate these opponents time and time again. I don't know what's going to take because this wasn't a problem with Mike Gundy several years ago. Um, this is a thing that's caught up with him with age, and I don't know what it's going to take for him to wake up. But, you know, he admitted last year that there was points where he was not caring as much as he should have been. And I think that was the case with this loss to Texas Tech. And we'll see if he gets it together going forward. But if I'm an Oklahoma State fan right now, seeing that performance against Texas Tech and the way, you know, Gundy is, you know, slumping himself around, you know, and, and such, I would be very concerned not only for the rest of this season, but really uh, for the next couple of years is if Gundy is ever going to get his head on straight and get this program to the potential of where it really should be. Uh, with all that's invested in that uh, program. But let's move on. Let's go to the National Football League now. And uh, the Chiefs, you want to talk about disappointing. Oh, my gosh. Sunday night, lose to the Indianapolis Colts 19-13. to 
plenty of opportunities to win this game. If Byron Pringle gets that first down on uh, that, you know, fourth down play, we're talking about a different story where the Chiefs probably go down and score and win that game, if that's the case. Um, you know, the way that the Colts came in, great game plan. Credit where credit's due to Frank Wright and company for what they did to be able to run the ball over that Chiefs defense, to wear out clock, you know, manage the game like they did, and not force Jacoby Brissett to try to win the game, to force him into mistakes. Andy Reid got out coached, but here's the deal. There's a couple things to take away from that loss, Tom. One, the Chiefs, the injuries that this team has finally caught up to this group. You're without, you know, Tyreek Hill, Eric Fisher. You know, Mahomes deals with a bum ankle and his own teammate re-injures his own ankle. Um, you know, and just some of the stuff, you know, they're down, you know, without Sammy Watkins got hurt in the first play of the game. The the injury report is off the charts for the Chiefs. And, you know, some teams, you know, some people will say, well, great teams find a way to play through injuries. You deal with 11 injuries of your starters, and you tell me how your team looks, and you're going to have a different discussion. You can say that if you have about four or five guys hurt. 11 is a whole different story. So don't give me that BS if you want to say the Chiefs aren't a great team because, you know, that they couldn't win with the injuries they dealt with. A lot of injuries. It's going to happen. The other thing is that I think these injuries that the Chiefs have dealt with, um, I mean, the loss was bad, but the damage done on Sunday night might be worse for this team. To go forward and try to deal with this with the injuries that this team was dealt after already suffering some injuries beforehand, um, if I were a Chiefs, if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm kind of nervous right now. I'm like, this team really needs to just rest up and get healthy because the talent's there, but there are some weaknesses. We didn't really learn anything, I felt, from that Colts game. We already knew the Chiefs secondary wasn't good, that their rush defense wasn't very good, and that they were banged up injury-wise. And the Colts took advantage of all those weaknesses. If these two teams were to meet again in the postseason, I think the Chiefs would win. I have no uh, issue with saying that. I think they would be just fine. But, I mean, it's it's clear there are some decisions that need to be made. And then the other part of that, too, is you look at the way the secondary got exposed again. Now you have to decide, do you make a move? Do you go get Jalen Ramsey? Or do you go do something of that sort? I think at this point in the year, that loss um, was a point of decision where – um, you didn't learn much. You knew those weaknesses were there, but now you got to see a team actually take it take advantage of those. Yeah, and then the Lions about did it the previous week. Um, not, I mean, Kansas City still one loss. It's a long season. You can't expect them to win every game. Now, the showing that they had against the Colts could have been a lot better. It's not like you know, it's not like the Colts just outgunned them completely. Uh, just kind of a bad deal for the Chiefs on that certain day. And you mentioned the injuries. And, and another player, I'm not even a Chiefs fan. I don't follow him like you do, obviously. Um, but you want to talk about a player who's underperformed who, you know, came in, and you could probably guess who I'm going to say, uh, that's not played so hot. And I think I saw some stats that maybe one sack, six six or seven tackles, maybe, maybe a few more, I don't know. Frank Clark, not so hot for the Kansas City Chiefs so far. And I don't know what the deal is there, but you bring a guy in. 
Uh, we talked about it before the season started. Character issues, and there haven't been any that I know of out of Frank Clark so far. Um, but to bring him in uh, for a, a Chiefs defense that needed some help and, and pay, you know, agree to that money, um, for him to underperform uh, is just kind of inexcusable. It's, he's kind of been a, just a, 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 a bust. Uh, of of sorts, and I'm sure the Seahawks are like, well, you know, you know, we got Clowney now. I'm glad we went ahead and dealed Frank Clark. Right, Frank Clark has been fair? he he has been disappointing. You're absolutely right, uh, Frank Clark. You paid him all that money. You gave up all those draft picks, and where's the results to show for it? Especially another thing about that time is, as bad as the Chiefs' defense was a year ago, they led the league in sacks. And you saw what Justin Houston did on the other side. You know, the Chiefs released Justin Houston, and the way that he just dominated that Chiefs defense and worked them to shreds uh, like he did, that uh, Chiefs offensive line, I mean. You know, they couldn't block him all night, and he was, you know, getting behind the line of scrimmage all, all night long. It makes you think, did they make a mistake in trading for Frank Clark? And for also saying bye bye to Justin Houston and uh, as well as uh, D Ford as well. Um, when you see the the change already through five games, that that defensive line, that front seven, is not as good as what they were a year ago. Yeah, and then, you know it's it's you know coming back to bite them. Uh, uh, you know, carry on Johnson for the Lions. I wouldn't say he had a, a field day by any means. Uh, I mean, but he didn't get just dominated. There's not been maybe the results that the Chiefs were hoping to, and it's and I wouldn't say it's a direct result of you know Steve Spags by any means. I mean, if the, the personnel is there, uh, it's just not getting the job done. Uh, I mean, and then you look at that decision to let D Ford go and in in the Houston thing, and then you think, well, maybe the grass isn't always greener. Uh, and that's kind of what it's coming, you know, kind of come down to for the Chiefs so far this season. Granted, they've lost one game. Uh, I mean, and they're going to win a whole lot more. I would be shocked if they lose more than four. Um, right. Granted, with the injuries, you never know. Um, that's, you know, that's one thing that can derail a season. We've seen it happen across all four major sports. Um, and the Chiefs have had the injury bug so far. Uh, now, if they can make it past the injury bug and get to where they need to be and get everybody back healthy again by, you know, week 12, uh, you're looking at a Chiefs team that's going to be coming in hot into the postseason. Uh, because even with those injuries, I mean, the Chiefs are still going to make, they're still going to win that division. Uh, I mean, the Broncos have looked terrible. Uh, the Flacco experiment's not working out. The Raiders got a good win against your Bears. Uh, They're I not my bears. That. that was that was impressive. They're not my um, bears. And then the chart. I believe the Chargers lost. Uh, so the the Chiefs are not in a position where it's like, oh well, you know, we got to watch the division uh, in a way that the NFC East does, and even the NFC West does now. Uh, I mean, it, it essentially, they're in a, a a league like the Patriots are in their division. Maybe not as probably not as bad, um, but still. The Chiefs are going to make it. It's all about getting healthy now. And, and, you know, granted you lose on Sunday night football to a Colts team you should have beat, uh, who's still very well coached uh, with a quarterback that's ho-hum. Uh, kind of maybe, maybe a wake-up call. I wouldn't. No loss is a good loss, but some are a lot better than others. And, and if, if 
by any means, if what we've seen with Andy Reid and this Chiefs team, I think they'll learn from this. I think they'll probably come out with a chip on their shoulder and probably keep the shit out of the next team they play. The uh, Cowboys fell to the Packers on uh, Sunday afternoon, and the Packers are now 4-1 and one to start out the year. Ten-point win, and the win was really bigger than what the score would advertise. Aaron Rodgers played good. He didn't have a single touchdown pass, believe it or not. Aaron Jones had a great day on the ground. 19 carries, 107 yards, and four touchdowns. Tom... I am buying the Packers. I'm all in. They have some quality wins. You beat Dallas and Chicago on the road, and you beat Minnesota at home. I mean, this Packers team, I'm buying them. They have a competent coach now in Matt LaFleur who knows what he's doing. They have a run game, which Aaron Rodgers has never had in his career. I am all in on this Packers team. They finally look legit, and this is what Aaron Rodgers has been begging for for it seems like a decade is – is this team, and one change, get rid of Mike McCarthy out the door, and Aaron Rodgers finally has the team he's been begging for. It's back to form. It's back to the Packers that we know and that we love. And that's, you know, you always just hate to play the Packers. Um, It's just one of those teams because, you know, even if they beat you, it's still, maybe it's a small market thing for me, but it's like, you know, you got to love them. Uh, And they're back to you know, the Packers form that we know. Uh, I mean, growing up, obviously the Brett Favre days and then even into Aaron Rodgers days, uh, them battling in the Super Bowl. You know, it's been a while, though, since we've seen a team of that caliber for the Packers. We've It's been a long time since we've seen them fill the team like this. And I don't want to go too high on them just yet. I know we're in the right past the first quarter uh, of this season, but... By God, they look ready to win the NFC North. They do. They look for real. And I'm telling you now, sell your stock in the Cowboys. It is time to sell because Dak does not look like he's ready for his $40 million. Um, he did not play good last week. Zeke is, uh, you know, he, he's been okay, but not great. I mean, it it's looking like, you know, he only had 12 carries last week for 62 yards. It's looking like Zeke is regretting not being at training camp. Maybe he's not saying it, but his performance is showing it of his time not being at training camp and knowing you know this system and going through everything there. Um, you know the defense has not been as good as advertised. Uh, you know Dak's got weapons and he can't get the ball to them. He has not been as effective as he needs to be. Three interceptions last week is unacceptable. Three interceptions at home. You know, the Cowboys got off to a hot start. They looked like they were legit, but they hadn't played anybody in those last, you know, in those first couple weeks of the season. Now, two weeks in a row, they play a quality opponent and, you know, they get their, the doors blown off of them. I'm telling you, Tom, I don't know about you, but I am selling the Cowboys. I'm out on, on the boys now. I've done sold them for a while. I've not been a believer. Uh, you know, not been a believer in Dak ever. Uh, that's not hating on him. I just, he's, you know, as much as Dallas loves to hype their players, just have not been a fan. I've never been a fan. I've never been a Jason Garrett fan. And, Jones, I have a question here for you. Who goes first, Jason Garrett or Kellen Moore? Um, I would say that Jason Garrett is going to be the one to go before anybody does. Uh, you think at the end of the 
season, or you think if they drop two more in a row, he's gone? I think Jason Garrett could get fired midseason, and I don't know who would be promoted their head coach, but I think the hierarchy of who they get rid of first, it's Jason Garrett, then it's Kellen Moore, then it's Dak. And and if they don't, you know, get this thing going, if this offense isn't clicking and, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing with the talent that's there, it could be all three of them gone before it's all said and done by the end of this season. You think so? I could. I mean, Jason Garrett's on a contract year. Uh, I could see him getting fired middle of the season. You know, at first it seemed like everyone hyped up what a good job Kellen Moore was doing. You know, what a genius Kellen Moore has come out to be. At least that's in, the, in my circle of Dallas Cowboy fans. This is what I heard. And, and just here recently, it's just not, not gotten the job done. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's quarterback play. Uh, maybe that's not feeding enough to, to Zeke. You know, maybe go back to your roots a bit and don't rely on a quarterback who's not worth the money that he thinks he's worth. Uh, that just comes down simple as that. But uh, if, if Jason Garrett gets let go middle of the season, if, if Kellen Moore leaves, and by God, they get rid of Dak after all this talk, uh, I don't know what it's going to come down to if the Dallas Cowboys have to rebuild, maybe not in the way that the Dolphins are going to or that they are. Uh, if that comes down to that, what happens to America's team? How does that – I mean, what happens? I, didn't, I mean, if it's I been was... a while since I've seen the Cowboys be bottom of the division trash. Uh, I mean, right now with the way Daniel Jones has been playing, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a prisoner at the moment. Would you take Daniel Jones over uh, Dak Prescott right now? Uh, I can't answer that question. Not enough sample well, size. Okay, that's fair. We'll give it another three weeks. But I'll say this. If I were in charge of the Dallas Cowboys this offseason, instead of giving Dak and Zeke all that money, I would have traded them for picks and said, look, we're not getting past the divisional round with this group, and you guys aren't worth the money that you want. We're going to trade you to somebody that's willing to pay you, get some picks, and try this again. That's what I would have done. Um, but, you know, Jerry is high on those guys, and they're going to move forward with him. Let's move a little bit quicker looking back at the uh, National Football League last week. The uh, Raiders got a win over the Bears. As we mentioned, the uh, Bears uh, dropping uh, another one. And, you know, Chase Daniel looked like Chase Daniel. But how about the Raiders for all that talk that they got about the Khalil Mack trade? And just, you know, how bad of a job they did trading Khalil Mack and everything that went with that. And one of the draft picks that they spent was on Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, Tulsa native that went to Alabama, was the first running back taken off the board. And Josh Jacobs had himself a day with 26 carries, 123 yards, and two touchdowns. He was electric. And uh, Gruden, you know, we, we gave him so much crap, you know, and, and rightfully so. But I don't think anybody expected this team to be 3-2 and two this point with uh, some quality wins to add to that. I mean, the Raiders have been a surprise so far. Credit where credit's due. Yeah, it has been a surprise. And, and more fittingly, Josh Jacobs, old Tulsa native, coming through and getting the job done uh, against the team that, you know, Mac, uh, Khalil Mack was traded for. Uh, this is some fairy tale book. Man, you know, it wasn't the Super Bowl. Uh, but, uh, I mean, some fairy tale about that. 
you know, for the Raiders, they wanted to beat Khalil Mack. Uh, I mean, I think that goes. Obviously, they wanted to win, but, you know, beating your, you know, superstar that you traded on and gotten so much flack for and then having the year they did last year, uh, I mean, you got to kind of smile at that. Uh, now, if you took the Bears for the Super Bowl, you might not be smiling. But, uh, Jones, as far as how the Packers are doing, I mean, we're, you know, talking enough about the Raiders, about the Bears here, uh, a team that could have went to the Super Bowl last year, in my mind. Um, they were a kicker that, away. Are they? When does Trubisky come back? Good question. I don't know when Trubisky is back, but I don't think the play between him and Chase Daniels that different, to be honest with you. Maybe it's not. Um, I do think they need to establish that running game, no matter what. I mean, you got good backs with Montgomery and, and Cohen. That's your issue more than anything. You know what you're getting at the quarterback position. You got to run the football, and right now that offensive line's just been terrible. They've not been able to run the ball. The defense is fine. It's that offensive line that's had their struggles so far this year. Uh, the Patriots got to win over the R words, thirty-three to seven, and as a result, the R words ended up uh, firing. Jay Gruden and Jay Gruden ended up he was dumb enough to show up to the facility at 5 a.m. on Monday morning to get his pink slip which made no sense the R words we know they're tanking you know they tried Colt McCoy at quarterback and you know he's back from injury we've heard that Dwayne Haskins isn't ready and such that you know he's still got a ways to go and look you know that's fine I think that that was you know a reality here with this team is that, you know, when, when you look at, at the R words, that they have a young quarterback that's not ready. If you watch any of his Ohio State tape, it was clear it was going to take him time to become an NFL quarterback. Um, you know, it, it's a process with this team. And wherever they move forward in Washington, whoever is their next head coach, you know, they probably need a new general manager in the process as well because Bruce Allen has been a disaster there. And I don't know what Daniel Snyder, why he's kept Bruce Allen around for this long. But, you know, in the future going forward, they need a total revamp because it has been a dumpster fire uh, since Daniel Snyder took over in 99 with all the people that he's hired. He needs a quarterback guru to groom his young quarterback Dan, uh, in Dwayne Haskins. Um, I don't know if he brings in somebody that's familiar with Dwayne, like Urban Meyer or Ryan Day or something, or if they try to go make a run for Lincoln Riley, whatever they do, go get a college coach. But their next head coach needs to be a quarterback wizard to work with their young young guy in Dwayne Haskins. Could have been Sean McVay. Um, but, you know, obviously he stepped out the door. But, yeah, they do. Um, I mean, was this to be expected with the or with the R-Wars, the Redskins? Probably. Um Jay Gruden wasn't the long-term answer. I mean, it's better to get him go ahead and get him out the door now and, and start this process uh, for them than it was to be let, to let him finish out the season. Uh, even if they would have went two and three at this point, I mean, it was still almost best-case scenario for Washington to go ahead and do this process. Dwayne Haskins, is he the long-term answer? Uh, you mentioned Urban Meyer, maybe Lincoln Riley. I think at this point, Jones, Lincoln Riley might be going somewhere else in the NFC East. Yeah, he might be. Uh, his, his phone will certainly be ringing with calls uh, with offers this offseason and, and uh, maybe in Pittsburgh, too, on, on the uh, AFC North side. We'll see. 
Uh, I would certainly love to see Lincoln Riley in Pittsburgh uh, as far as that goes. But uh, some of the other things, the Texans put up 53 points. Deshaun Watson played really good. And uh, the Texans, they are now sitting at 3-2 and two on the year after a slow start. And, uh, you know, the great game for Deshaun. You know, that's terrific what that offense did in Houston. But as far as the Falcons go, you want to talk about coaches that need to go. Dan Quinn should have been fired yesterday. I don't know how this man has a job. Ever since they lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, since that third quarter where they had a 28-3 lead, it has been a disaster in Atlanta. You have Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley, and you can't score points with that offense? I mean, they've won one game this year. How does that happen? Atlanta has the talent of a borderline playoff team. And they have been a disaster for the last couple of years now. I don't know how. How does this happen, Tom? How is Dan Quinn still the head coach of the Falcons at this point? Yeah, I'm really not sure, to be honest, because they do have the talent. They Julio Jones all that money. He's trying to produce, trying to do what he is. You have a former NFL MVP quarterback. Uh, I mean, it's just been a dumpster fire ever since they gave that lead to the Patriots. It's really not been hot. Uh, and so I don't know what's going on in Atlanta. It's not a five, you know, that's the next coach uh, to go ahead and get fired. If they lose two more in a row, maybe, maybe less than that, uh, you got to just question what's going on there and to really, you know, put in perspective, hey, we have all this talent. We can be a better team than this, and it's just not happening. It's probably starting at the top, uh, probably starting with Quinn. Right. No question. No question. couple more. The uh, Saints get a win over the Buccaneers, and Teddy Bridgewater, since taking over as the starter, is undefeated in New Orleans with some big-time wins. Uh, he has certainly impressed so far to this point. The Saints are 4-1, and one, and uh, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, I've had my doubts about Teddy, but the way that he's played the last couple of weeks, I mean, he was terrific against Tampa Bay with four touchdowns and over 300 yards. Not only are the Saints still in contention in the NFC when they get Drew Brees back, still in great shape, but they might have their long-term, they might have their answer when Drew Brees is done in Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, that's the question that's kind of lingering. This is like a tryout for him right now, but so far to this point, if this has been a tryout for Teddy, then he's deserve, then he deserves a shot next year to be that starting quarterback there in New Orleans. Oh, yeah, and I think you even called it. I don't give credit where credit's due. I think you told me that the Saints were going to be okay uh, and that you would think, you know, if they miss four games, they'll go two and two. Uh, and right now, look out. I mean, the Saints have not lost a step. Yeah, they lost to the Rams in L.A. Uh, and not part of the game plan was Teddy Bridgewater stepping in for Breeze, uh, obviously through that game playing off, but, so far, so good for Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, he's been impressive. He's, you know, done with what he can do. And, you know, with weapons like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, you know, you're going to get that. I mean, he's put in a pretty good position. Uh, maybe not the best. Uh, granted, the circumstance of, hey, did not was going to be rushed into this deal. But, hey, the experiment so far is working out, and he does deserve a shot. Last thing on the NFL, Tom, the uh, Rams, your Rams lost 
to the uh, Seahawks, 30-29. to Back-to-back losses for the Rams, and now they take on the undefeated Niners uh, at home this week. That's our pick one of our pick games. We'll pick that uh, coming up later on in the show. But with back-to-back losses, is there any reason to be concerned yet about this Rams team? I think this week against the Niners is going to tell a lot about the heart of this Rams team, and it's going to tell a lot about the coaching style of McVay. Uh, and even for the defense, it's going to see where Wade Phillips stands at his old age. Uh, never want to doubt Wade Phillips, though. Um, just, just I mean, what a career he's had. But uh, it's going to tell a lot. The Rams go out and, and you know win this game and prove that they're still going to be on top of the NFC West. Uh, then I don't think you have anything to worry about. If they lose to the 49ers this week, I'm hitting full panic mode. Yeah. If you fall to 500 at that point, there'd be reason to be concerned. I think another thing with the Rams is, you know, Todd Gurley has not lived up to his expectations, to the money he's being paid. ESPN put out a stat saying that, uh, you know, right now, Christian McCaffrey, who's an MVP candidate, by the way, he's been incredible, has more yards from scrimmage than Todd Gurley and Zeke Elliott do combined in uh, 2019 so far at this point. I mean, he's been incredible, you know, McCaffrey is. And, and Todd had a classy response to it. He said that, you know, hey, keep me out of this. Uh, Christian's the man. And, you know, it, I, I think that, you know, I have some questions about Todd Gurley. I don't know, Tom, and you tell me this what you think. I don't know if we're ever going to see the same Todd Gurley again. I've been waiting for it, and he still hasn't broken through yet. He hasn't been the same since he got injured late last year. Oh, no, of course not, and and I think some of that has to do, and I don't, maybe it's a mindset, a psychological deal, that just McVay is almost scared to use him, scared to let him lose, and there was a game, oh, what, it was, I think it was against the Browns, that they kept trying to run outside, kept trying to run outside, and every time they would run inside, they were getting nine, ten yards, kept trying to run them outside, and so I think it's, you know, maybe a, scheme deal the Rams like to spread you out and it you know helps their passing game um and you know not a ground and pound team by any means um and so for them to they're kind of just getting away from what Gurley can do or they're not I I mean I'm not putting it all on the coaching staff but I'm not going to put it all on Gurley either uh the the coaching staff hasn't been pro Gurley here lately Uh, I don't think they've you know, I've obviously I watch every game. You know, and I'm a fan. So, just for them to, they're they're not how I would say like using him wisely, in a sense. They're not surrounding the offense. They're not putting the offense around him. Here lately, it's been Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and just a little mix of Brandon Cooks, and and that's been about it. And it's not look too pretty so far it's not the same Rams offense that we saw last year and maybe that's just a little bit of you know too much tape on Sean McVay and they need to figure something else out uh but so far it's just coaching this year for the Rams has not looked so hot no no they haven't and uh, we've seen that in the past with teams that lose in the Super Bowl the next year they struggle out of the gates, and so far we're seeing that out of the Rams, and that division is looking a little tougher than we expected as well. A lot more to come here on the Jones Report today. Going to be joined by Tyler Reddick and Alex Bowman coming up on the other side. Then later on in the show, we'll have our weekly picks against the spread, a little Tom Fullery and more as we continue here on the Jones Report today. 
Tyler Jones here alongside Alex Bowman, driver of the number 88 Chevy for Hendrick Motorsports in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Alex, what brings you to Kansas City? Yeah, so uh, we do these victory tours with the racetrack. Um, uh, drivers get kind of picked and do different ones every year, but uh, we're here at, uh, at Giving the Basics. It's a, a really cool uh, cool deal. I didn't really know what I was getting into today until, until we got here, so um, it's always special to do anything to give back to the community, obviously, and we do a lot of that with, with our different partners, but um, this is, is really neat. You know, you never really think about, um, you know, you always think about giving food or, or uh, like the healthcare side of things or whatever, but, um, you know, to, to give soap and really like the, the basic needs of, of hygiene stuff is, is really special. So, uh, and I feel like it's kind of popped into my head that it's, it's definitely something that probably gets overlooked. So that's, that's kind of what, uh, what makes, what giving the basics, uh, does is, is, is special. So, um, you know, we're here, uh, giving back. You came out here, and they, they kind of put you to work, I guess. Uh, got some boxes of some different food and different items that, that were sent out to people around town? Yeah, so um, we got here. We Basically, they get their donations in in different forms, and uh, whether it's, like, people donating or companies donating. So they had um, boxes of, like, variety packs of, of soaps and shampoos and stuff like that. So we pull all those apart, and we sorted them, um, and then we, we kind of boxed things back up. Um, so they can ship them out and, and then we have some deliveries today. So basically people come, whether it's school districts or or whatever, they come pick stuff up throughout the day. Um, so we've been helping, uh, kind of pack their cars up, load them up and, uh, get them sent on their way. I imagine it kind of puts things in perspective to, to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like a lot of what we do does that, you know, whether it's going to Nationwide Children's Hospital or, or stuff like this. So, uh, it's always humbling to, uh, to get to do stuff like this. This season, you've had a career year getting your first victory in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. You made the playoff again. I mean, this has been something special that you and that 88 team have really dialed up this year. Just uh, tell me about that, how exciting it's been to you know, achieve these big-time accomplishments. Yeah, getting our first win was great. Obviously, we won a lot more, but um, you know, we've had our share of ups and downs. We've been a little inconsistent at times and uh, struggled at some tracks, but been really strong at others. So we just need to uh, to get our consistency dialed in. But it's definitely been a good year for us. Tell me about that win when when you got that out of Chicago earlier this year. What was kind of going through your head, and what were kind of the celebrations afterwards after getting that first victory? Yeah, it, uh, it was a big relief to get that first win, and um, the celebration lasted quite a while. Um, was was hurting a little bit for the next couple <laughs> days, but it was a great time and uh, really cool to to get to share that with not only my race team but my friends back home. You know, you, you took over a big time ride for taking over for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and of course, you know, Dale Jr. is still involved in in the Hendrick program of sorts. Did it, it feel like a relief not only to get a win, but to kind of prove something because a lot of expectations, a lot of people watching what you were going to do to replace one of the biggest names in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm never going to replace Dale's personality. And, sure. Um, you know, obviously the, the heritage and kind of the, the legend there. So um, for me, it was really about just performing on the racetrack and, and doing everything I can and then just me being me. So, um, you know, to, to get that win and to be performing how we have, it, uh, it's been pretty neat. 
One of the things that stood out to me, too, is that since you took over that ride, it seems like Dale's been very supportive, that he's been there every step, that when you filled in for him when he had that concussion, that he was one of your biggest supporters. Imagine uh, that's gone a long way, and that's going to be great to have somebody like Dale or even Jeff Gordon, some of these bigger names right there still within the Hendrick program. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Dale has, has been a big part of my career. I probably wouldn't be here without him. So it's it's neat to to have his support and, and obviously to have Jeff as involved as he is in, in HMS still is, is really neat. So I was a big Jeff Gordon fan as a kid. So now getting to work with him is, is pretty cool. That's cool. So any other favorite drivers? Who were your heroes growing up besides just, just Jeff and maybe some of the others? Yeah, I mean, I was a I went to a lot of sprint car midget races as a kid, so I was really into the open wheel stuff. Um, you know, at the time, it was guys like J.J. Yaley and Josh Wise were, were kind of dominating everything. So um, I was a big fan of, of theirs, and um, it's it's cool to have gotten to race with them and, and gotten to know them as well as uh, racing with all the, the NASCAR stars. Is that still still something you want to do, some more of, of, the, of the sprint car circuit and such? Yeah, so I have two midgets that I take care of. Um, we run throughout the winter. We go to Chili Bowl and, and all the indoor shows. So that's always a good time. It, it takes pretty much my whole off season. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and I still enjoy working on my own race cars and 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 uh, the mechanical side of things that I, I don't get to do uh, on the Cup cars on uh, these days. So um, it's it's neat to to still be able to do that. Chili Bowl, you're speaking my language. I'm from Tulsa originally. And, you know, the Chili Bowl, it it seems like it's this unknown treasure to, you know, to some of these race fans out there, just how amazing that event is every single year. If you got the chance to win that, how would that compare to, you know, winning, let's say, you know, some of these top NASCAR races? I mean, that's such a big deal for for you guys that, that have grown up and been around that. Yeah, that's um, that's a hard comparison, you know. <laughs> obviously, obviously the cup races are really important, um, but the Chili Bowl, you know, the sentimental aspect of it and um, as an open-wheel kid, you know, just the importance of that race is really high. So um, I probably don't race enough dirt to go there and, yeah. and, and, and win a Chili Bowl. Sure. Um, I feel like as a crew chief or car owner, I, I am – probably closer to being capable of doing that so that's kind of why we take two cars um you know cj leary drives the other car and uh we ran eighth in the in the a with him uh last year so we we had a a pretty good uh week um it's definitely better than than the last couple years there so um hopefully this year we can uh, be a little closer to the front and um i ran like eighth or ninth on my prelim night and and ended up uh, missing the transfer to the b by one on saturday so um, it's a lot of fun, though. That whole event, they do a gr- such a great job with um, with a, ev- really every aspect of it. So it's it's a blast. That's awesome. I, I had no idea that you were such involved in the technical side of working with cars and everything in that aspect. Does tell me this? Does that do you feel like you might have a little advantage in in regards that you might know more about the car than some of these other drivers that you can communicate with your crew chief uh, more directly about about the car and and, and know more about it per se. Um, somewhat, you know, the stock car side of things gets really complicated in a hurry. Um, a midget, your scope of adjustments is much smaller than, than the stock car. And it takes a whole team of engineers with a table full of laptops to set up a cup car these days. So, um, it's definitely different, but I feel like just having a basic mechanical understanding of the race car is really important. And, um, I probably have that more than, than some others, you know, there are guys 
Ryan Newman's a good example. He's oh, a yeah. super smart guy, but um, at the same time, there are guys that have never touched a wrench in their life uh, that, that drive cup cars. So it's just uh, everybody's different and got their different strengths and weaknesses, and it's, it's, it's definitely something that I feel like has helped me. That's cool. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports, you're, you're part of the, the new-gen era at, at Hendrick with, with Chase and William and still have Jimmy Johnson there, of course. Uh, tell me about that group, what you guys have there at Hendrick, uh, a young core with you know, one of the greatest drivers of all time. That's got to be a, a good mesh, I imagine, of, of you know, both the, uh, the veteran and, and the young guys that you have. And, and you've all been uh, competitive. I know that Jimmy might be a little down right now, but, I mean, he's still one of the greatest ever doing yeah, for sure. Obviously, Jimmy's a big leader for us, yeah. uh, for, for the drivers, and it's great to get to lean on him. And I feel like all four of us kind of bring something different to the table. We all have vastly different backgrounds and upbringings and, and got here in different ways. So it's neat to kind of have so many different points of view um, and, and different uh, ways of describing race cars and, and all that, and we're all able to work together really well. So it's been a big help. The playoff going on right now. You already finished the round of 16 on to the round of 12 now. It was crazy. Those first three weeks and now heading to this, you know, I mean, Talladega is going to be a part of it. You know, I mean, it seems like this playoff is getting crazier and crazier every year. And the, the last three weeks were no exception. Yeah, they like to put as much excitement and, and stress for us as they possibly can in the playoffs. So, you feeling um, that stress a bit? Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no driver aside from Larson this week going into Talladega that's not stressed out. So, And he's probably still stressed out because the likelihood of hitting something really hard is, is always there at Talladega. So that's just uh, that's part of it. Um, you know, we need to go have a, a good solid week. It's definitely a stressful time of year, but that's why we do it. Kansas Speedway coming up here in a couple of weeks. You've been there a few times now. Tell me uh, your thoughts on, on Kansas. What do you like about the track? Yeah, it's a great place for us. I feel like it's probably the best place for our, our current rules package, and we're really able to uh, to race well there just with how wide it is and how much mechanical grip the cars have there. So um, that's been been really good. I think the show in the, in the spring was good. We ran second. Would have liked to have been one spot better, and hopefully we'll do that uh, next week. This race compared to the spring, you know, it was going to be a day race. Uh, we saw such a great night race, one of the best Kansas Speedway races I can remember. You think it's going to be much different from going from night to day in, in this race in October and, and a little bit colder probably than it was uh, in that uh, spring race? Yeah, I mean, I think for our package right now, um, the night race is probably a little better of a race than, yeah. than a day race. Um, heck, they should just switch it to Saturday night and let us run <laughs> Saturday night. But um, you know, it, it's, it's just a little different. If it's hot and slick, you won't see as much two, three wide action. And, um, if it's cold and gripped up, we'll, uh, we'll be racing just as hard as we were at night. That's uh, fantastic. We're joined by Alex Bowman here, uh, right now as, uh, we're getting ready for this uh, race at Kansas Speedway here just a couple weeks from now. You've been to Kansas City a couple times. Any takeaways from just the city and what you've experienced, uh, being, being around here? Yeah, it's an, it's a neat place. Um, my dad's family's from here, so right. uh, or from from Topeka, so okay. Um, it, it's always neat to come come back here, and um, he's got a lot of friends and, and family out here, obviously. So that's uh, that's always neat. Um, it's been a good racetrack to me throughout my career. You know, I've I've won two Arca races here, um, and and had some really good runs, and hopefully we'll get a Cup trophy. That is awesome. I had no idea that you had connections to uh, to pick it like that. So, uh, I mean, that's not far at all. I mean, it, you get a chance to, to hop over there or a lot of folks, uh, I imagine, making the trip. 
Yeah, so it's, you know... A lot of tickets to give away, bro. Yeah, all the, the, the friends and family that you've never met before, but then they need tickets. So, uh, just kidding to everybody that's going to read this or, or, or listen. Um, no, it's... Uh, that's just part of it, um, and, and we always have a, a big group of people out here. So it's it's always neat to uh, to kind of meet the uh, the relatives and, and see all the the family friends. That's fantastic. Uh, the, the rest of the season, obviously, you'd you'd like to you know win some races and win a championship. But what what are some of the goals? What do you want to accomplish these uh, these next couple of weeks left before the season wraps up? Yeah, I mean. My biggest goal coming into this year was was to make the round of eight um, and and win a race and and obviously we won Chicago we want to win some more and um, to make the round of eight I think would be a, a big statement for us and I think we have a good shot at it so we just got to have two solid weeks and uh, hopefully be be moving on and then trying to get to Homestead. All right, a couple more things before we let you run here. What is something that most folks don't know about you, Alex? That's a good question. I feel like I'm I'm pretty pretty uh normal boring um i don't know i'm i'm a homebody when i'm at home i like to stay at home and kind of just hang out with my friends and and i have two dogs at home and um i like to tinker with cars i'm i'm a big car guy so i'm always driving something different or or working on a new project um or or working on race car stuff for, for stuff like chili bowl you got a new car after that win didn't you I did. I got a, a Camaro ZL1 1LE after we won Chicago, and then a couple weeks ago I got a, a 66 uh, Chevy C10. So always getting something new. I have way too much stuff, but I'm um, glad that uh, that my job allows me to do that. <laughs> How do those cars drive? A l- little bit different than the, uh, the the stock car. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, my daily driver is a 900-horsepower Cadillac. I have a 1,200-horsepower Corvette. Um, so everything I have makes makes a good amount of power. Um, pretty much everything I have is is about as fast as uh, as a cup car or faster. So it's uh, it's always fun. Um, the C10 is is probably the the newest project, and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Well, Alex, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man, and uh, best of luck here at Kansas in a couple of weeks and at Talladega this week as well. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, thank you. Tyler Jones here, joined by Tyler Reddick of the NASCAR Xfinity Series. He's the defending champion. He's in the NASCAR playoffs, and he'll be racing at Kansas Speedway next week. And also, he's making the move up to the Cup Series for Richard Childress Racing next season as well. Tyler, welcome to Lawrence. Appreciate the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool to be out here, uh, obviously, uh, a little bit in advance of our Kansas Lottery 300, uh, but just hanging out here at Kansas University and uh, getting to see some cool stuff down here at Jayhawk. Tell us exactly what you're looking at at, uh, at this Jayhawk Motorsports Club. Some uh, pretty cool cars built by, by students on campus. Yeah, um, obviously quite a bit different um, and a lot lighter than uh, what, what uh, I'm used to dealing with. Uh, these cars, from what I'm aware of, 460, 70 pounds. So a lot of really cool stuff. Um, they're doing a lot of things here with, um, you know, uh, a lot of computer programs and just trying to do a lot of stuff as efficient as they as efficiently as they can so when they do actually you know put uh, materials to use that it's all efficient and they're getting the most out of it so it's really cool to see how they do everything and uh, get a better understanding from it there's some similarities you know uh, the programs they use motec and some of the ways they go about doing things are kind of similar to, to, to the stock car world uh, but obviously they uh, they run everything on a little bit tighter budget and uh, they do a pretty good job with being efficient are you curious to, to hop in one of these cars yet? Uh, I'm sure it'll be a little bit different than anything I've ever driven uh, in recent memory. So I don't know how that'll go, but it'll be exciting and new experience for sure. 
<laughs> this, uh, you know, this operation, you mentioned kind of smaller budget and everything. Does this kind of remind you of some of your days maybe growing up and on, on your way up through, through the racing world? Well, I, I say smaller budget, but definitely some of the things they have access to and what they take advantage of is far more advanced than uh, I, I ever, than we, me and my family ever did when we were younger racing um, on the dirt series. So we didn't really ever have used computer programs or, or were smart enough to. So it's really cool that they're uh, you know, going to school here, learning about this stuff, and then putting it to use through a program. So it's really cool to see what they've been able to do and what they've been able to come up with and um, how creative they've been able to get and uh, cut weight down here and there and just make things as, as efficient and uh, as fast as they can. In the Xfinity Series this year, you got five wins. It's been an incredible year for you in 2019. After winning the championship a year ago and joining RCR this year, I mean, this is this got to be a lot of fun. I imagine the position that you're in this year, just how everything's gone. It's gone really good. Um, it's been a fun year. We've been able to, like you said, win five races and win regular season championship. Be very consistent throughout. So that was uh, that's an exciting, you know, way to get throughout the regular season and uh, ever so quickly. Uh, can can a can a good you know most of your year go away like that and uh, that's what we kind of almost had happen to us in the first round but it's a good lesson going into round of eight. Uh, you know, looking at uh, this this season and and how it's gone so far. You know, those those five races. Uh, I mean, tell me tell me about those. I mean, getting those wins, but then winning the regular season championship. I mean, you know, you you guys have been consistent. It seems like that. You know the transition going over to RCR from where you were at at Junior Motorsports last year has been uh, been great for you, that everything's gone. You, you've even improved upon your championship year. Yeah, it really have. I mean, uh, I think I only had seven top fives last year, and we got 21 or something like that now. It should be even more, uh, you know, if I wouldn't have had made some mistakes that I have here in recent weeks. But we've just been firing all cylinders for right from the get-go, and uh, just credit to a great team around me, me and my crew chief, Randall Burnett, uh, just – came together really well uh it was just a perfect pairing so we've been able to do a lot of great things this year and we got a lot left to to accomplish and um you know we can't let the the i guess the thoughts of having such a great year uh cloud what's right ahead of us and and that's going out winning a championship and that's going to remain our our main goal this championship in the xfinity series this seems like the most exciting season in quite some time with Christopher Bell and some of these other guys. I mean, you guys are winning a lot more races than some of the Xfinity regulars have in a long time. I mean, it's t- tell me about that competition of, of being with those guys week in and week out. You guys got like your own big three of sorts in the Xfinity Series right now. Yeah, you know, it definitely is is seem that way. Uh, the unfortunate part is though, when when one or two of us have a have a bad race, it really opens up the door for the third uh, to just kind of dominate and win uh you know i think last weekend wasn't exactly going to go that way chase prisco was really competitive justin algar was too so the guys around us have, have caught up and they're getting better um at a very good time for them so you know the the way we've been able to dominate and go out and win all these races in the beginning of the year isn't isn't quite falling the way that it has in the past or in the beginning of the year they're catching up and i mean this is inevitability of racing you you have an advantage you, you find a way to outperform the everyone else and they're going to work hard to catch up so we're working really hard. We're, we're doing everything we can to bring a really good piece to, back here to, the, to Kansas for the Kansas Lottery 300. And we're very excited about that car and what it, what it has underneath it. So we'll see what it has in practice and go from there. But uh, we're definitely putting everything we got into this last push and these final four races to get to Homestead and then win that race. Tell me about Kansas. Uh, you've been here before and seen this track. What do you like about 
racing at Kansas Speedway? Uh, it, normally, as history will, would tell, it, it kind of opens up the door for moving around and finding speed as, as the tires degrade. I would say they fall off, but uh, as we've seen this year, the tire that we run here, run at Chicagoland, and, and some of these other more way-out tracks doesn't have the fall-off that we've seen in years past. So as the, the balance of the car really changes, you'll just have to continue changing up your driving style. And, um, you know, Cole Custer was really fast. Uh, the last time we raced on a track similar to this with this tire, so uh, we'll you know we'll be we'll be seeing how how fast and how good their pace is in practice, and say kind of gauging where we're at off of them. But Christopher Bell as well has found speed here recently at Vegas and was really really fast. So those are the guys I think we're gonna have to compete against on this on this stage when we get back to here in a week's time or so, and we'll just have to to go from there. But definitely we're really excited about coming back here. We have had some new ideas and. We're excited to play them out and see how much better they make our car. Now you're headed up to the Cup Series next year, uh, joining uh, those guys uh, at, at Richard Childress on the Cup end. What did it feel like to get that call that you know that you're going to be the guy going up the Cup next year? You took a gamble on yourself going to Richard Childress, uh, you know, for the chance to explore more opportunities for that, you know, hopefully to get the Cup, and now it's finally going to pay off. Imagine that, you know, just that moment when you finally knew it was going to happen, you know, was was something special. It really was. I mean, it's it's crazy to to think um, how this how everything could change so fast. I feel like only a couple years ago I was really struggling to to run up front in the Xfinity series and things weren't going that great. And then we started to have little breakthroughs. And then um, this year, just uh, last year was a good year. We 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 did what we needed to, do to win the championship, but we weren't consistent as we needed to be. And uh, this team just helped me accomplish that, be more consistent, and and be. Uh, better well-rounded as a driver at tracks that I really struggled at the year before. So it was just really cool experience to be running as good as we have on the 50th year, and we want to end it with a championship. But it's really exciting, too, to think, um, you know, I've finally broken through that barrier. I'll be racing Cup next year, and I'm excited to get to it. But we've got a lot of unfinished business to take care of first. Tell me this. What's it like working with Richard Childress to have him as your owner? And as you mentioned, this 50th season to deliver some big-time wins for Richard. I mean, this has got to be got to be a lot of fun i imagine to work with uh, a nascar legend like that yeah i mean he's very hands-on more hands-on than uh, any owner i've worked with really in the past and so that's refreshing that's nice um you know you never feel like there's a separation there uh, as you sometimes can get with some owners that are just there from time to time and not really hands-on so that's just the way richard is some of these other owners have businesses that they got to take care of outside of racing um, but for Richard, you know, his, his business is racing, and that's his, that's his living, and that's how he makes um, – that's how he, you know, gets food on the table. So it's a lot of fun to come in and work for a guy like that. And uh, we've had a lot of good weekends this year. So it's been – we've been on the good side of it, and it's been good to see how happy it is. But when we have the, you know, the not-so-great weekends, you know, the pressure's on. He wants us to do good, and we, we want to go out the next weekend and, and recover and have a, have a better showing the next time we're out on the racetrack. Your uh, teammate next year is going to be Austin Dillon. Uh, you excited to work with him and be in the same shop as him and that uh, number three team? Yeah, I, I would say I've already been able to be around him quite a bit this year, even though we're on different different garages, if you will. We are under the same roof in the, in the what was a cup shop, the RCR main shop. A lot of things take place and where the Xfinity program got moved to this year. So been under the same roof all year, obviously racing different series, but we, we've been around each other a little bit here and there throughout the year. So it's already already feeling like we're working together. Um, you know, Daniel, I worked with him last year, so it was cool to be on the same roof with him as well uh, this year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. We're working hand-in-hand with him a lot more next year than I did this year. But we made a few. he made a few starts in the Xfinity Series running for College Racing and kind of got to – 
get get a better feel for him than I probably had uh, coming into it. So we'll be around each other a lot next year, and um, you know we're going to be we're going to be each other's uh, lifeline of information, if you will, of other things that are going on and bouncing information off each other and looking at data together as uh, SMI uh, really shares a lot of that too. Is it going to be hard for you to focus on the end of the Xfinity Series season with knowing that you're so close to starting this new journey in the Cup Series, or are you going to be able to balance that out and not think too much about the Cup side? I mean, other than, uh, you know, when I'm talking to you about it, it's the <laughs> only time I, it comes to mind and the only time I give it any thought. All my all my focus has remained on, on the Xfinity Series and, and the next race I had ahead, which is Kansas. And and, how, and where we go from there in that first in that first race of the the round of eight. So you know it's exciting stuff, but you know once it was all said and done, I kind of went back into the into the bank and, and and to be pulled back out another time when it's time to go cup racing. So not uh, it's it's good stuff. It's exciting. Glad to make my start uh, when that time comes. But uh, we got a lot of unfinished business left. This Xfinity playoff, we we mentioned how tough it is. You know, we, every week matters in this. It's a little stressful, you know, <laughs> going into this. Tell me about just uh, you know the, the the pressure of this playoff. I mean, this is crazy, you know, the, since it was installed in both the Cup and Xfinity Series, how much this has taken off and the excitement that's there every single week now. Um, there is pressure, but only if you really allow it to become pressure. Uh, ne- negative pressure is a bad thing. But last year it was a positive for me. It motivated me to push harder when I needed to, and it motivated me to be smarter when I'm, I probably wouldn't have been in the past or like I was earlier in the year when – We'd won a race and we'd locked up in the playoff, and you know we were just trying to go after wins and not necessarily points. So, you know we have a good we have a good cushion. Uh, we need to respect it more so than abuse it. And I did the really bad job of abusing it in the first round. And when you lose four cars, your 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 advantage goes from you know forty five points or whatever it was to now thirty. So you lose a little bit of that as the, as the rounds go along. Um, but now you know I'm I'm officially third. We were tied with with Cole Custer in second. Uh, at the beginning of this, and now he he's won a race, and he won a few stages along the way, so he's got a few more points. So now we're solidly in third, and uh, we're going to have to do everything we can to try and outpoint them and get back to the front, but the best thing we can do is win a race. It takes the pressure off of us and allows us to really work uh, and get ready for homesteads. That's the goal. We want to win a race, but obviously one person at least will make it to homestead off points, and if we can be that person, that would be great, but realizing that how difficult that can be and, and how quickly things can change with just bad luck or uh, crazy things happening to you around or uh, on racetrack your your boss uh, richard childress he compared you to kel yarborough and said that you drive a lot like him and and, and such uh did did you do any research to go back look at some of the way the, the way kale drives compared to yourself what what'd you make of that comparison to kale uh, it was really cool um you know i, I kind of have a familiarity with the way he and some of the other legends of the sport drove from back in the day just you just you just see it in some of the old clips, the way they would race and how hard they would race, and um, you know it's 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 a hell of a compliment. I mean, uh, he's a legend, he's a hall of famer, and uh, you know uh, I don't want to let him down. And uh, he sees that, and uh, you know there's a lot of potential uh, in the future that that I have in front of me, um, being in the Cup Series at a young age, uh, starting next year, and uh, obviously you know he's uh, very successful. Kale was, and uh, you know we'll just see what the future holds. So hopefully I can live up to that. Who was your heroes growing up? Who were some of your favorite drivers that you watched in the sport? Um, you know, I had a few heroes in the sport, but a lot of the ones that I had came from a uh, similar dirt racing background. I really enjoyed watching Jeff Gordon, uh, Tony Stewart, obviously. Uh, you know, like guys like J.J. Ailey when he made his way up into the Cup Series. Some of the other guys, the guy I grew up racing hand-to-hand with a lot. 
competing with on the racetrack was Kyle Larson. I look up to him. Um, you know, those guys that I kind of have a similar background or I made a race against when I was younger. So those are guys I looked up to. Guys like Steve Kenzer, who who stayed in the in the in the World of Outlaw Sprint Car world. Some of those guys, uh, you know, heavily influenced me when I was younger. And you know, I probably a lot of my driving style comes from those guys. I really really liked watching growing up. That's fantastic. A couple more things with you, Tyler. Um, you know, the uh, lo- looking at coming to Kansas Speedway. You, you mentioned how much you, you like racing here. What, what about coming to Kansas and Kansas City? Uh, you, you had a good time. You got to see much around. What uh, do you, is this one of the stops on the circuit that you circle? One of the places you like to come to most and and see the city and such. Um, normally, when I come here, we it kind of varies where I've stayed in the past, but. Uh, you know, I came here in the spring for the cup race. I was very, uh, very focused on the race. I think I maybe went and ate at Yard House. I, I didn't go very far from the racetrack, um, but we've got a few of those all around uh, whenever we travel to other places throughout the, the country. So, you know, it's something I don't really do a whole lot of. And, you know, when we come here in the playoffs, you, you try and make sure you get enough rest and do this and that. And, you know, depending on how the, the garage opening and closings work out on, on Friday and Saturday, maybe I'll be able to uh, go adventure a little bit and, and take in some of the views. Something I've wanted to do, but it's one thing that I think often gets, uh, you know, goes without really being noticed that the drivers and, and the crews, they, they come to these places, but the hours they work in the garage, by the time they get out, they, they just want to go have a meal and go to bed. And by the time that happens, you're back at the garage the next morning. So. If you spend a lot of time at the racetrack with your guys, you, it's, you don't really have a crazy amount of time to go do stuff. Sure. So that's just one thing that often when everyone asks, like, oh, how was Kansas City? I'm like, well, I saw the racetrack a lot. You know, we were there <laughs> the whole time. So it's work. It's uh, You want to go out and sightsee if you can, but you don't always get to do that. Last question for you. What is one thing that most folks don't know about Tyler Reddick? Well, I don't know. Um you know, one of the more recent changes that I think uh, quite a few people know, but not everybody realizes that I'm going to be a dad come January. So that's that's new for me. That's a exciting change, and I'm really looking forward to to that due date. Uh, so that's probably something here recently that when I've been asked that question in the past, it's normally been a, a weird you know TV show I'd like to watch or just you know weird hobby I would have. Yeah. But I'm going to be a dad. That's something new, and that's something that. Uh, some people know, but I don't think a lot of people do know. It's a boy or girl, or you boy. don't know it's yet? It's a boy. It's a yeah. boy. So, you, yeah, so. You, I mean, it, it, you've it decided was, to, oh, yeah. to raise a son to go along with this journey on the racetrack? So you, yeah. See, see, especially with you early in your career, too? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, I put it out on social media, but, you know, not everybody has social media. Not everybody right. happened to see it that day on their feed. So, uh, you know, it's just one more thing to, to add to the mix that makes me different and makes me uh, who I am. So I'm excited for that step in my life and that new journey. Well, that is awesome. Tyler, appreciate the time. Best of luck. We'll see you here in a couple weeks. Yep. Thank you. Big thanks to Tyler Reddick and Alex Bowman for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Tavis Bridges back here with you now. And Tom, the XFL is uh, a few months away from kicking off its inaugural season in the uh, first year of the uh, brand new XFL, that is, under uh, Vince McMahon and Oliver Locke and company. And uh, we've seen some of the players that have declared for the XFL draft. We already knew that Landry Jones is going to be a part of the XFL. He's actually not going to be in the draft, though, as uh, he is going to play for Bob Stoops' team um, by default, part of his deal to join the league. So... Uh, not bad for Bob to get one of his former players as his uh, quarterback down there in Dallas, and certainly that'll uh, sell some tickets. But uh, some of the names that have come out 
that'll be a part of this uh, league. Some of the uh, you know names that we've heard, and they're continuing to reveal more and more names too, as the XFL draft will be here in uh, just a couple weeks. Uh, former Oklahoma State quarterback Taylor Cornelius, former Michigan State quarterback Connor Cook is uh, going to be in this. Uh, also, Ryan Broyles is going to be part of the league. Jalen Saunders uh, joins the league as well. Um, a number of uh, good players, you know, Kenny Robinson, former West Virginia wide receiver, is uh, going to be in this. Uh, I mean, a no- number of good players, a number of good Big 12 talent is uh, going to be part of the uh, XFL, Tom. And, you know, with the money that's invested in the XFL from Vince McMahon, you know, it's not like the AAF that tried to raise money as they go. Vince McMahon's got enough money to self-fund this league for the first three years. He's got that much set aside already. And with the talent that's being listed, the names that are associated with this, getting Bob Stoops involved and Oliver Luck involved, I mean, all this stuff that's that's surrounding this. Tom, I'm all in on the XFL. I am convinced this is going to work, and I like the uh, talent that's coming into this league uh, from the jump. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely ready for it. And what better than just extra football? Uh, I mean, I don't think you can get better than that. So I, I think it's going to be a success. Uh, and like you said, they don't have to raise funds. This is not uh, a Girl Scout League or a Boy Scout League where you're selling popcorn tins or cookies uh, to pay the players. Uh, I think that that number one uh, is going to be one of the reasons it succeeds. It has enough funding, uh, whether that be from Vince or whether, you know, maybe sponsors start to pop in left and right. So I'm excited to see the first year of it. I'm excited to see the uniforms. I'm just excited to see the talent on the field. Uh, and and to see Bob Stoops back is, is unbelievable for me as that might sound. Uh, I want to see how he does the, not at a blue blood. I don't know. in the XFL. The, uh, the Dallas Renegades. I mean, that's blue blood as blue blood as it gets right there. You know, of what? Uh, yeah, they might be better than the Dallas Cowboys. They might. I mean, they got the better coach. That's for damn sure. I mean, yeah, yeah that's the truth. Yeah. They, they got the better pro football coach. This is going to be Bob's way into the pro football hall of fame is by being the greatest XFL coach of all time. Oh uh, my gosh. <laughs> Are you, are you going to call Amy Smith for a Dallas Renegades jersey? Oh, I'm way ahead of you. I'm thinking, Tom, I am actually going to, and I hope you join me in this. I really hope you do. I'm going to start an XFL Fantasy League. That would be cool. That would be cool. And I don't play NFL Fantasy. Um, so maybe I'll take up XFL. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I got a couple people already interested, too. So... I think we could have a lot of fun with a fantasy XFL league. And our buddy Hartzell Gray from 98.5 The Buzz in Kansas City, he wants to come on this show every week during the XFL season and give us an XFL report and update. And I'm all for it. I'm I'm all in on this. I'm game. Yeah, that, that's exciting. Uh, it, like I said, it's more football, and it's the XFL. You know, I mean – this has been, this is, it's new, but it's not new. You know what I mean? Right. It's been, it's been done. I mean, obviously it didn't last for too long, but this time I, I think the go or the second go around will be a lot better. Do you think that Corndog, Taylor Cornelius, can make it as a starting quarterback in the XFL? No. 
Really? I, I think there's probably better recycled talent out there <laughs> um, that will, you know, be able to get the job done better than he can. I think he'll be a back. You know, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I think he could. I think he could play for a little bit, but I don't. I don't see him, you know, being the, the star of the XFL by any means. I think he'll be a backup quarterback in, in this league. And if I were to bet money right now, Tom, my MVP favorites for the XFL would be Already. would be Landry and Connor Cook. Those would be my two. I'd put money on. I could see that just because they've already played pro, and if you know Landry, maybe not the best success, but he 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 held his own. So I could see that. Would you take Landry or Connor Cook as your favorite for MVP? You know that's tough. I would probably have to say Landry because he probably has a little bit more experience. Okay, that's fair. I like Connor Cook though. What he did at Michigan State. I thought he oh, was, yeah. I thought he was going to work out better than he did uh in the NFL personally. But I mean some of the skill position talent, I mean those are legit guys. You think about a Ryan Broyles for example, Tom. This was a guy that you know had all the talent. He looked like a good NFL wide receiver, but he simply couldn't stay healthy. Now this is his second shot. Um you know Jalen Saunders was a good receiver at OU. Some of these other guys I think we're realistic in saying that the XFL not only is going to be a second chance for them to prove themselves on a big stage, but it is also going to be um, a legit thing to get these guys back in the National Football League. I think that this is a great second chance for these guys to really show their talent. I mean, the AAF was only around eight weeks and yet ended up with a number of guys that ended up on NFL rosters, ended up on 53-man rosters this season. Oh, yeah, it can only be good for the league, too. I mean, you know, they say, like, competition. I mean, the XFL is never going to take over the NFL by any means. Uh, but it's, you know, kind of like a G League, but it's also it's pretty exciting. Uh, it's a lot more exciting than the NBA G League will ever be. Uh, I mean, it's going to be, you know, they're going to play it up, and it's going to be something to watch. It's not going to, you know, people are going to tune into this. Nobody watches the G League. Unless you're an NBA scout, or, or even then, it's hard pressed. But right, I mean, I can I can really see this, you know, being becoming, you know, you know, something that you know you have fun with. And it's not going to be as serious uh, by any means as the the NFL, but it's going to be like a, a more fun league for sure. Um, so. I'm excited to see what really happens with the XFL. I'm ready to see the draft. What are the chances that Bob Stoops ends up uh, with both Broyles and Saunders? Along with Landry, and then you might as well name them the Sooners at that point? Might as well. I, I mean, there's a really good shot. What if that's that secretly the agreement that, you know, hey, if I'm going to come into this league, I get to have every one of my players I want? <laughs> it might be. Because he's the face of the league. There's no question about that, that Bob's the face of this league so far to this point. The uh, the St. Louis Battle Hawks, is that going to fill your football void in St. Louis, Tom? No, it never will. <laughs> it never will. But that's been, that's probably going to be who I'm rooting for. I'll see how the rosters shake out first, and then I'll pick my team. I'm going to be a Renegades, Not based on- I'm gonna be a Renegades fan. I'm going to go. Oh, I, I, we knew that. 
if you can't have your OU hard on in college football, you're going to get in the XFL. I mean, I got to be loyal to Bob. Uh, you know, I, I would like to see Bob succeed. And so I'm going to be a Renegades fan. And I would like to go, Tom, you know, St. Louis isn't a bad drive. Neither is Dallas. Uh, I've made up my mind. I am going to go to an XFL game this season at some point. That would be a lot of fun. Obviously, Dallas is a little bit closer, at least for me. Maybe not for you. But they're going to play each other, and we might have to go. And we could pick our sides. We could get our uniforms from Amy, and we could go all out for this. I wonder if she's really going to have jerseys. Oh, I imagine. I imagine it would happen. Wouldn't it be incredible? I hope. I hope it does because I'll definitely buy one. Oh, I will. Too. I'll have to see how the rosters shake out to see who I want. And it might not even be someone from Dallas or from St. Louis. Well, especially with Landry on the Renegades, that's going to be easy for me to buy a Jones jersey. Oh yeah, you know you're going to. And it's going to look like in. In three years, when you know these teams all change their jerseys, whatever, if the league's still around, it's going to look like, oh, did you get that jersey from Dollar General? You're right. <laughs> right. That's Who's that team? Funny. I mean, who sponsors the jerseys? What type of jerseys are they going to be? Starter? Right. Um, there's a, there's there's a lot of ideas what they what they could be. Maybe this is where Adidas makes their comeback. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they brought in Snoop Dogg to help out KU. Maybe Adidas could get in on the XFL game. I would, yeah. Maybe they'll just start throwing money into the table there too. Right. Maybe. Could be. Uh, I mean, I don't. I mean, I'll, I doubt. Maybe Nike will just get right in on it. That'd be great. Um, they and also announced the uh, top broadcast teams for each network. And for ESPN, it's going to be Steve Levy, who's uh, I think most famous. Tom, do you, do you remember his uh, his uh, bulging disc comment? I do. Oh. Steve Levy's not bad. I like Steve Levy. I don't think he's ever lived that down. I think that's bigger than anything he's done in his entire career. You think that's his one shining moment? Is his bulging disc comment? Yes. There you go. And, and notice maybe, I'm being so. I'm being very careful when I refer to that too. Um, right. <laughs> oh, but Steve Levy is going to do the games with uh, Pat McAfee and uh, Dan Orlovsky is going to be the lead team for ESPN. And then friend of the show Diana Rossini is going to be their uh, lead sideline reporter too. I mean that's a that's a pretty good group uh, to, to lead the way for uh, the XFL and ESPN and Fox is going to be Kurt Menefee, host of Fox NFL Sunday, and Joel Klatt, their elite college football analyst. And Joel does so many Big 12 games. We mentioned Joel and his bad take about Texas earlier in the show. But, uh, I mean, these networks aren't messing around when it comes to XFL coverage. They're pretty serious about this, too. Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, that, that team right there, you know, just analysts, that's pretty solid start. I mean, they're not getting any Joe Blow off the road uh, by any means. And and team they put together so far, I mean, I think they've put it together for a successful start. All they need now is the Boogermobile. Oh, no. No, the Boogermobile and the XFL. That would be be something. And based on the way Monday Night Football is going for Booger right now, he might be begging for that cart pack at at some point, uh, the way this is going. But 
I would love, Tom, to call an XFL game. What if you and I did an XFL game? That would be legit. Could you imagine? Yeah, I would uh, I, I would hope that there would be beers involved or, like, in the media, there would be, you know, a keg on tap of some sort. You know that uh, at Cowboys games at, at Jerry World, they have uh, they have beer on tap for the media? What kind of beer? Is it Bud Light? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I would guess that Miller Lite is one of them since they're the official beer of the Cowboys. But they do no, have free beer for the media at Cowboys games. I mean, I don't care what beer it is. Uh, I mean, just to get beer in general is pretty, uh, you know, a pretty special thing. I mean, you give me PBR and I'd be happy. That's uh, that's terrific. Uh, we'll move on. Time for our weekly picks against the spread this week. And uh, we are sad to report that we have reached record low levels in our weekly pickems that we do on this show every single week. Uh, our buddy Derek Harris pulled uh, a really bad one last week. He uh, did not pick a single game correct. He uh, was 0-9-1 last week, last week. as the uh, Seahawks-Rams game was a push with the uh, Seahawks as a one-point favorite. Um, but missed every game. I didn't do too much better. I only got two games right. Tom got five games right. And uh, so he was just barely above 500 at 5-4-1. and one. But overall in the standings, none of us are above 500. It's that bad. Three-way tie for the lead between our buddy Billy Locke, Reed Williams, and then Thomas at 29-29-2. and two. Uh, Nolan's a game back at 28-30-2. and two. Derek's at 25-33-2, and, and I'm sitting at the very lovely 22-36-2. So let's try to bounce back. Here's what I would recommend, Tom, for the folks listening at home. We always tell folks that you know, when you listen to our picks, we want to make you rich, You know, listen to us to try to make money. What I would advise, based on our track record, Tom, uh, between all of us collectively, and especially myself, you might want to just fade the pick. If we tell you to pick one thing, you might want to just go ahead and pick the other based on what we pick here. So it's really your choice. If you want to trust us or not, that's up to you. Right. It's really coming down to that. Last year we did so much better. I mean, we were, I would have made good money last year had I been betting. Uh, wasn't. I'm not a, a betting man by any means. And every time I seem to bet, I end up losing. Um, so it's probably best that I don't. But. Jones, something's got to give. We're, we're going to turn the ship around, um, and at least I'm going to try. Uh, really, though, I'm shocked that that happened to him to not win a game. Um, I really thought that was going to be end up being Nolan. Uh, Nolan, not been too bad so far, though. Uh, not, you know, he's not tied for the lead, but he's right there. And, uh, you know, bad couple of weeks so far. So I think something's going to turn around. I'm hoping it's this week. Uh, for at least myself, I'm going to be selfish with this because there's bragging rights on the line. But right, uh, you know, it's something's got to give. We gotta, we gotta make some progress somewhere. We really do. Right, no doubt, no doubt. Let's go ahead and get to our pick. Let's start on the college football side of things. College game day will be there for Florida and LSU, the number seven team in the country. The Florida Gators taking on the number five LSU Tigers. The game in Baton Rouge, LSU, a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. A lot of people already looking at this team as a uh, possible opponent to take down Alabama this year. And uh, 
but they have to go through this Florida team first. And Florida, without Felipe Franks, has not missed a beat. It hasn't mattered who's played fl- quarterback for Florida. They have looked good so far in 2019. On the road, though, LSU 13 and a half. Tom, I think LSU wins this game, and I think it's going to be hard to find somebody in America that thinks Florida is going to win this game. But I don't see LSU winning by that big of a margin. This does not seem like an LSU team to me, Tom, that is really going to blow out any of these tough opponents that they face. I think you're talking about close games. This is a rivalry game. It seems like it's close almost every single year. I think LSU wins, but I don't think that's asking too much of Florida to keep this within 13 and a half. Yeah, I mean, that's you're essentially saying that LSU is going to beat them by two touchdowns. I don't think that's going to happen either. Um, I would be very shocked if this Florida team came off the performance they did against Auburn to go in to Baton Rouge and lose by 14. Now, I do agree that I think LSU is going to win, uh, but it is a rivalry game. I don't, I don't, I cannot see LSU winning uh, by 14 points. All right, so we both like Florida to cover as the underdog at 13 and a half. Oklahoma taking on Texas in the Red River Shootout. We don't call it the rivalry or the showdown, any of that. It's the shootout, and uh, this game going to be. You know, at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, the best rivalry in all of college football. OU, a 10.5-point favorite. And I think I've taken OU almost every year in this game because OU's done so much better than Texas in the last, you know, two decades now. But 10.5, this OU team, Tom, I have not seen enough from them to say that they can beat, you know, a top opponent by that much. And Texas has covered the spread in this game every year for the last six years they have done so. Whether they've won or not has been another story, but Texas has covered six straight years in a row. I like the Horns to make it seven. I like OU to win the game, but I'm going with the Horns to keep it with ten, within ten and a half. I think OU wins this by a touchdown. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I'm going to have to go to the Horns here, and I do think OU still wins. Um, but at the same time, you just compare this, how close that the Texas-LSU game was. I don't think that OU would cover 10.5 uh, against LSU. I mean, I think it would be the same result. So I'm going to have to go with Texas here. If it was, if it was, you know, less than 10, and a, or less than 10, I probably would pick OU because I think they can pull this off by 10 points. Uh, but I'm going to have to go with Texas here. I think OU does win. Uh, might be three, might be two, might be ten, uh, but not ten and a half. Right, right, absolutely. All right, so we agree so far through two games. Number one, Alabama on the road to Kyle Field, taking on number 25, Texas A&M. The Tide are just a 13-point favorite against Texas A&M, and you know, considering Clemson beat Texas A&M at home by 14, it's uh, interesting to see that line pretty similar, you know, with Alabama as a 13-point favorite. Listen, I think Texas A&M is the biggest fraud in all of college football among the top 25 teams, among those, you know, teams that we talk about week in and week out. They've not done anything to impress me. Kellen Mond is the most overrated quarterback in the country. Alabama is going to roll. They will blow the doors off this Texas A&M team. I think Alabama can go out there and win by four touchdowns. And 
I might be selling that short. I think they're really going to expose this Texas A&M team. I like the Tide to cover, and I like them to win bigly. You know, with your track record so far this season and picks, I don't necessarily like to agree with you on all these picks so far. Alabama does not let me down very often. Right. I'm not going to pick against Alabama. I'm, I'm taking the Tide. I don't think they're going to just go out and win by four touchdowns. I agree that Texas A&M is a little bit overrated. I like Kellen Mond. I do. He might be the most overrated, but I like him. Uh, I think that Alabama is going to win win by 17. Uh, and that I, I'm only saying that because I'm picking Alabama, and I don't think it'll be interesting to see how they play. Kyle, Kyle Field is no easy place to play. I don't care who you are. Um, uh, what happens as far as that goes, but I, I think Alabama still does win. I don't think it's going to be by 28, though, Tyler. I mean, a freshman quarterback and Bo Nix went in there and covered and won at Kyle Field earlier this year. I mean, let's not act like that it's, you know, the toughest place to play by any means. I mean, Kyle Field, their home field advantage might even be a little bit overrated, to be honest with you, as well. I'm just dogging on A&M today. I mean, it's nothing personal. I just think I'm just delivering facts. Um, USC taking on number nine, Notre Dame, this game in South Bend. USC has been so up and down this year so far to this point. You know, they beat Utah at home, you know, a top 10 team, quality win there. And then, you know, they get blown out by Washington on the road. I have not figured out USC. Notre Dame, I don't think is as bad as I anticipated. I thought Notre Dame was a fraud going into this year. But they competed with Georgia. They had a great second half against Virginia, another top 25 team. Notre Dame, you know, that's a quality football team, believe it or not. They are worthy of their number nine ranking. At home, nine-point favorite, I'm going with the Irish, and that's probably my first mistake. Uh, I have not picked the Irish much this year against the spread, but today I will do so. Give me uh, Notre Dame to cover at home at nine. I hate agreeing with you on these. I really do, because I was right against uh, for Michigan last last week. I was the only one. And I'm having a real hard time taking them. And you know what? I'm just going to do it just because we can just go ahead and do it. I'm taking USC just because you're taking the Irish. All right. And that's your going to have to go ahead and take the underdog. Is that? Uh, because... I'm not. I'm not harping on you at all. I'm just okay. saying, just from the track record, we can't agree on all of these. Right. And I'm going to just switch it up. I will eat the bullet if I'm wrong. I picked the Notre Dame in a couple of games, and they did me right. But uh, I, I think Notre Dame still wins. I think they win by a touchdown, uh, but I don't think they win by more than nine. Okay. Okay. How about le- this last college game? Washington State taking on number 18 Arizona State. I don't know what to make of Washington State. They got a great offense. They can score points, but yet they still give up, what was it, 67 to UCLA? Terrible defense. They can score. Arizona State, Herm Edwards and company, Herm has done a much better job than any of us anticipated there at Arizona State. That has got to be one of the biggest surprises in all of college football the last two seasons is what Herm has done at Arizona State, turning them into a top 25 team. Arizona State, two-and-a-half-point favorite at home, I'm still going to ride with Mike Leach over uh, Herm Edwards, though. Give me Washington State to uh, cover that two-and-a-half-point margin as an underdog. 
you know, I'm going to believe in Herm Edwards, and I'm taking Arizona State to go ahead and upset. I would, I guess, you wouldn't call it an upset at this point. Uh, if it was at, if it was in Washington State, I would pick Washington State. I will go ahead and take Arizona State. Sun Devils beat Cougs. They are who we thought they were. Well, they are. Well, oh that's wait, that, that's Green. Denny Green. No, no, no. Uh, his was uh, put your put and put it put your name on it. That was uh, that was Herm. There you go. That's our college picks for this week. I like Florida as a 13.5-point dog. So does Tom. We both like Texas as a 10.5-point dog. Taking Bama to cover at 13. I'm going with Notre Dame to cover as a 9-point favorite. Tom likes USC as the underdog. And I like Washington State as a 2.5-point underdog. Tom likes Arizona State as the favorite there. To the National Football League, the Texans taking on the Chiefs. Chiefs are a 5.5-point favorite. And they are a little bit banged up. Texans coming off one of the best offensive performances in the National Football League all season long. And the Chiefs, they're 4-1. and one. They look like one of the best teams in the NFL. But they have not covered the spread in three straight weeks. And they're coming off a loss. Chiefs, five-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom, you going with the uh, Chiefs or are you going to ride with the Texans? You know, I'm going to have to go ahead and ride with the Oh, my God, five and a half. You know, the Chiefs have done me wrong uh, consecutive weeks here. Uh, but this is probably the hardest game of the week for me to be even think about to pick. It's at Arrowhead. I'm going to just go ahead with uh, – the Chiefs have to do me right at least once. Uh, and I'm going to ride with the Chiefs this week. Chiefs are supposed to have Tyreek Hill back this week. That's going to change everything. This offense is going to go up to another level. It wasn't bad before, but – it's going to elevate everybody. I like the Chiefs to win and cover, bounce back after that uh, Colts performance from last week. So uh, we'll both take the Colts at five and, a, and take the Chiefs at five and a half. The Rams taking on the Niners. The Niners are undefeated, and the Rams are coming off back-to-back losses. But yet, the Rams are still a five-point favorite at home against the 49ers. Tom, is that five-point favorite for your Rams justified? I'm going to just ride with them. I'm going to ride with the fact that they're going to bounce back this week. I think they have a chip on their shoulder. They, you know, poor Zerline. I do feel bad for them. Shouldn't have, I mean, we should be 4-1 and one right now. Unfortunately, we're not. Um, I, I think it'll be enough, though, this week. I, I think the Rams show out, um, and I, I think they get this one. I think it's not by much. But I do think it's more than five and a half. All right, so you're going with the Rams. I'm going to go with the Rams, too. And quite simply, I know the 49ers are playing good, but I think the Rams are a better team than the 49ers are. I think that later on in the season, we're going to be talking about a different story with these two teams. I'll go with the Rams to uh, cover at home as a five-point favorite. The Eagles taking on the Vikings. The uh, Vikings are a three-point favorite at home against the Eagles. Tom, I'm going to take the Eagles as a three-point underdog. I like them to cover, and I like them to win, and here's why. Kurt Cousins, he has been so up and down, and he played good last week, struggled the week before. It seems like it's different every week with Kirk Cousins. But here's the one consistent when it comes to Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has struggled against quality teams, and the Eagles, I think, are one of the best teams in the NFC. I like the Eagles to win, and I like them to cover, and I like Kirk Cousins to struggle in this game. You know, I think you're right. I'm not so sold on the Vikings. I mean, they have – I don't know if Stephon Diggs is going to be back. 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly what they have got going, um, but I like what the Eagles are doing, um, and I, I think they I think they cover and win. All right, so we're both riding with the Eagles. Who's a three point underdog? This week, a um, couple more for you. The Lions taking on the Packers. The Lions have a decent record to uh, open up 2019. The Packers, we, we talked about it earlier, riding high on this bunch. They're a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home, playing really good football right now. Tom, I got to ride with the Packers. I'm all in on this team, and I like them to cover at home this week. I think they get it done. What, what do you think about the uh, the Green Bay squad? You know, the Lions have played tough so far, but I – I have to ride with the Packers, too. I, I can't not take them. Uh, you know, they're one of my favorite teams to like that I don't automatically just root for out of the blue. Um, you know, I hope Aaron Jones continues. It's a great story. Uh, and I, I think the Packers take it. All right. And uh, last NFL game, the Saints taking on the Jaguars. I love Gardner Minshew and the story that he's done there in Jacksonville. They're a one-point favorite, but... The Saints have got something going good right now. Even with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, that offense is still playing well. That defense is legit. Going on the road to Jacksonville and such, I think the Saints are going to be just fine. I think they're a much more talented team. Jags are a one-point favorite. That's pretty much a pick at that point. I got to go with the Saints on the road, although it wouldn't be surprise me, Tom. We talked about it earlier of – you know, the Saints, they are probably going to lose a game or two with Teddy, despite how good he's played. There's gonna be there's gonna be a breaking point at some point. This might be the most likely chance for Teddy to slip up as a team with a good defense like Jacksonville is and going on the road, especially considering you could argue he's played over his head the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It, it would be it's one of those games where you expect to I mean they can't. I mean, they can keep winning. I don't know that they will. Um, at Jacksonville, uh, I mean, it. This is this is another hard game. It is essentially a pick 'em at this point. Have we agreed on every single game so far? I'm going to take Jacksonville. Okay. For the sole fact that we have agreed, um, we got to switch it up somewhere. I mean, we can't. Obviously, we can't be right about every single game because no one's ever done that yet. Is this the week? That would be nice after how bad last week went. Um, we need the turnaround. So hopefully one of us can uh, break through. But those are our picks for this week. Going over the NFL again, Tom and I both like the Chiefs as a five-and-a-half-point favorite. We both like the Rams as a five-point favorite. Like the Eagles as a three-point underdog. And the Packers as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I like the Saints as a one-point underdog. Tom likes the Jags as a one-point favorite. And those are your picks this week and uh, follow along and play with us all season long uh, through our uh, weekly pick them here on the Jones Report here uh, as we do each and every single week. Before we get out of here today, time for our final segment, our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. And uh, Tom, where are we going this time? Jones, so we are going across the pond this time and I don't know how long it's been since we've been across the pond, but we're going there this week. And the article reads, hundreds, not just a couple, hundreds, lose their driving licenses during Oktoberfest e-scooter mayhem. Jones, before I start this, have you ever read a lime or a bird? Yes, I have, and I love them. 
Right, this is what this is about, it looks like. German police have revealed that hundreds of electric scooter users lost their driving licenses after riding while drunk at the Oktoberfest beer festival in Munich. A total of 414 people, wow, were caught riding an e-scooter while under the influence, and 254 lost their driving licenses as a result, according to police statement released Monday. In 32 cases, police patrols intervened to prevent drunk driving. In Germany, e-scooters, which were only legalized in June, are categorized as motorized vehicles. This means that drink driving laws apply to riders, as some found out the hard way during the world's largest beer festival. Police identified e-scooters as a new challenge during the 16-day Oktoberfest, an annual festival of traditional German food, dancing, beer, and clothing that ran from September 19th to October 4th, working to keep the festival grounds clear of vehicles. To stop riders abandoning their e-scooters in the grounds, they were prevented from logging out of the scooter hire app while on site, and clusters of abandoned scooters were removed each night from around the city. Authorities around the world are currently grappling with how to deal with the scooters. As the urban population swells, cities and startups have been searching for fresh transportation solutions. E-scooters offer an affordable and quick way to make short trips in congested cities, much like bicycles, but without anyone breaking a sweat. However, they can be a nuisance piling up in roadways and at popular destinations as well as dangerous. After a spate of injuries, city authorities in Austin, Texas asked their Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to investigate e-scooter-related crashes and injuries. The study published in May found that one in three injured riders were hurt on their first trip and about 63% had ridden nine times or fewer before their injury. The researchers concluded that additional training may be necessary for e-scooter riders. Jones! So, I have wrecked one of those e-scooters before. Really? I did, I did and I was drinking. Um, ha <laughs> All right, not terribly bad, but I was going down in Tulsa, and we even went to the Pearl Beach Brew Pub, and I had a couple drinks. I don't think that's what really caused it. I was just unaware of the head road conditions, and I was going down around a bridge, like on the sidewalk. And where it kind of goes down to the sidewalk below, and it was a sharp turn, and it was straight downhill. And I was definitely, they only do up to 15, but I was going way faster than that. And I really couldn't stop in time to what was going to be my eventual downfall either way. And it was either the grass or the concrete, and I chose the grass. And I jumped off and just rolled and skidded across the grass. Um... Definitely wasn't. I had ridden them more than nine times, so I'm out of that statistic. But I uh, wasn't really an injury. Could have been though. But I will be fair and I will be honest. And I will say I've ridden these scooters off my rocker before. Multiple beers, multiple drinks confirmed and gotten on one of these. I will say that I'm not ashamed. I don't think it? I should be drinking and driving. Uh, How is this the first that. time I've heard this story? How have you not told me this before? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm not the proudest about it, but okay. I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. When we come across a story like this, I'm going to just own up to it. I mean, everyone has had those scooters hit the back of their ankle for sure. And that, oh, my God, that doesn't have to bring you to your knees because they're pretty solid. I mean, they're pretty sturdy. Um, right. That I have ridden one of those intoxicated before, and I'm, I mean, I wouldn't call it proud, but I'm not going to shy away from it. Sure. Uh, because if you've been in any college football weekends in any college football town that they have those scooters and you've been drinking, you're definitely going to get on one. I don't care who you are. Um, that's just one of the things. Uh, in Austin, 
I rode down 6th Street after about five or six beers on one to get to the next bar. Parked it, went to the next bar, and then I got a cab back to um, where I needed to go. So, um, I can see the drinking and driving part of it, but at the same time, it's like, come on. I mean, you're not driving on a main road. The fastest you can do is 15 miles an hour. I unless you're severely intoxicated, I really don't think this should be a thing. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, I've heard multiple cases of this happening in the U.S. too. I've heard stories of people on bicycles getting DUIs before as well. I mean, they take this pretty seriously uh, in some places. Uh, you know, getting on these scooters of some sorts with a little alcohol in you. Uh, you know, some of the public doesn't like that and gets a little upset about it. I think it's hilarious uh, that this is actually happening. You know, if if you're not hurting anybody, if you're not wrecking anybody, then it shouldn't be a big issue of some sorts what you're you know, doing drinking-wise or, or not. But it is hilarious. Could you imagine? You know, if you let's say that you get a DUI and you get locked up or whatever, you know, hey, what, what, what are you in here for? Well, uh, you know, I'm in here for, you know, killing somebody. I'm in here for stealing. I'm in here for assault, whatever. Uh, I got a DUI on a motorized scooter, you know, in downtown. On a lime. Like, on a lime. I, I, I can't wait for, I, I don't know if Bartles will ever get them, but I really hope they do. Um, and it's not about drinking and driving and riding around on them. While that is a lot of fun, um, they're just fun to ride just complete, you know, just completely sober. I think they're a blast. Lawrence is about to get these, and Kansas City has them, and they were all over the place in Salt Lake City uh, when I was down there for the NCAA tournament. And, you know, for the runs that we made to places in the middle of the night, uh, wink, wink, uh, those scooters were a game changer. Oh, I mean, they, uh, you know, make your ride a lot quicker. Uh, I mean, me and Billy took one to the stadium for the TU game, TU-OSU game, and we were looking at a 15, 20-minute walk, and we made it about a five-minute ride instead. That's next level. Uh, it is next level, and it only cost, and I paid for Billy's, and it only cost me $4. That's uh, terrific. And you get to have fun while doing it, too? You know what? Billy looked at me when we got on these scooters. He said, we're not riding those. And I said, oh, yes, we are. And he just kind of started laughing, and I was like, what, you've never ridden them? And Billy was like, no, not really. And sure as shit, we got on those, and Billy cracked a huge smile and had a blast the whole time. And if you ask him, he might be like, nah, it wasn't that fun. He's a liar. That is fantastic. I'm glad that you guys uh, could enjoy we those scooters. That moment. Yes, you had a moment together on those scooters. We did. Uh, people may have thought, you know, you two riding those uh, scooters were – uh, you, you two were a couple or something. Might have gotten the wrong idea, but you know the, the important thing was that you two enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, I had a blast. Just wait till they come to Lawrence; you'll be all over them. Oh, you know it. I would, I would ride it to work. Oh, for sure. Like, why not? That's just what it comes down to. Why not? Well, and it's good for the environment and everything. Why aren't all these environmentalists, you know, instead of you know flying in their you know, fancy, you know, private jets and cars that take up all this gas and pollute the air. Why aren't they riding scooters? Just take a line instead. Right. I will say, I will say my, my sister, she'll graduate and uh, 
she graduated in December. Um, she works at OU Trauma in Oklahoma City. And she said the amount of injuries that come from these limes, and like, she said there's been like traumatic brain injuries, not necessarily at OU Medical, but just over the country because they do like reporting on nursing about these. This is a thing. Um, that there have been like multiple traumatic brain injuries across the U.S. from people getting on these scooters and wrecking. So I do see that, you know, I, I get, but you assume all responsibility as soon as you scan in. It's just what it is. Ride it safely or don't ride them at all. And you assume the risk as soon as you get along one of those, drunk or not. That is your decision. If anybody ever tries to sue these people, I will be the first one to step in their defense. Uh, because you do assume responsibility getting on one of these. If you don't think you can go so fast, don't gun it. Just like getting in a car. Now, but I what? say just like getting in a car, but the drinking and driving thing, if I got if I got a DUI riding one of these, I would be so mad. I would almost go out and be like, y'all want to show you what a real DUI is. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not uh, if you've already reached that point. But here's my <laughs> question, Tom. Is... What happens on these lime scooters if you do wreck a vehicle or wreck a person? You don't have insurance on these things. Um, what, what what happens then? You know, that is a good question. I mean, if you run into someone or injure someone, obviously you have to be at fault. But I guarantee there's been more accidents being completely sober on these than there has been people drinking and riding them. There's had to be. Right, because so, people are crazy. I mean, do you just take them away altogether then? No. I mean, based on the way that people are reacting to vapes these days, that would seem to be the answer to, to it. Just end it. I mean, people blow their hands off with fireworks every year on the 4th of July, and we haven't taken away fireworks. Well, we kind of have in some places. I mean, you can still go out and buy them. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, there's some fireworks that are banned now that, you know, weren't available otherwise. Still blow your hand off with the smallest firework. I mean, maybe not completely, but there's injuries and deaths that happen every year due to the 4th of July, and we don't cancel that. So I have, don't cancel uh, the limes. Don't cancel the birds. I'm with you. I got, some, uh, I got some Roman candle fireworks in my bedroom right now, Tom. Do you? Are you going to shoot them off in KU? beats texas oh yeah yeah we're, we're gonna go all out i hope so i'll be right there with you i'll drive up to lawrence and we'll be partying uh, that weekend's the uh, kansas race at kansas speedway so we'll just have a party at the speedway yeah there you go and, and we'll invite our buddies on the show today uh toddler reddick and uh, alex bowman to uh, celebrate the victory with us I'm down. I'm game. And then well, they're, I probably won't be in Kansas City for that race, but and then they're going to win the race, the the races that weekend too, and we'll celebrate with them. I'm all for going for a NASCAR drivers after party. Oh my gosh, we got to find a way in. That's our next step. After party for whoever wins the NASCAR race. I mean, you know, steak and shake after the Daytona 500 with Demi, Denny and Joe Gibbs was cool, but I want to see the real after party. Right, where are all the bush lattes? Right. they they got to be somewhere. They've got to be somewhere out there. On that note, they really run. do. 
We got to get out of here today. Big thanks to uh, Tyler Reddick as well as uh, Alex Bowman for joining us here on the Jones Report today. And uh, make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And uh, follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at TJ Media Group, Thomas underscore Bridges, Instagram at Tyler Jones Live, at Insta Thomas, and a Jones underscore report. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week for Alex Bowman, Tyler Reddick, Thomas Bridges. I am Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week. The Jones Report. F- yeah.